0: Hello and welcome to another Quorin stream. I am Joe Magician. Welcome to my channel. Today's topic will be a couple of my streams, namely the tragedy at Summer Hall and the year on the Eldrick's Apocalypse. God, that's so hard to say. <laughs> God, why did you write it that way? Uh, many a fandom have wondered for years if there was some sort of shadowy hand pushing forward these. And is that hand the ill as weird? Of Lord Brendan River, also known as the Blood Raven, Red Crow, Last Green Seer, Dude with a Thousand Eyes, Creepy Emo Boy, that guy. A thousand nicknames in one. A thousand nicknames in one. Um, how many eyes does Blood Raven have? After all, the same. Guys. <laughs> Before we get going, um, and introduce my special guest, who you already can see anyway. Uh, please say second and like and slam. All the buttons, the share, the subscribe, all of them. It doesn't seem like a lot, but it can really help with uh, the YouTube algorithm and making sure this gets seen by more people. Yeah. Slam them all, like, share, subscribe, all of the things. YouTube bots are very fickle. is what they want. Give them what they want. A thousand bots in one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and joining me <laughs> today, I would say, is the number one Blood Raven fan, although that was disputed on Twitter. <laughs> the man who has co-produced six plus hours maybe seven hours of content about blood raven we have the lovely talented aziz of the history of westeros podcast welcome aziz
1: well i'm not so sure about being lovely especially if, <laughs> given what's don't show going the on. hand. don't show With the hand. hand yeah i could just whoosh, real no. fast like <laughs> oh god I'm rotting, yes, so thank yeah, you. thanks for having me, Joe, this is great, I do love talking Blood Raven, and he is a lot of fun, and let I, I me mean, shout out our friend Pat Doherty, who, this is actually an anti-Blood Raven shirt, so I'm I'm some sort of traitor here, it says Blood Raven shot first, but it's all in good fun, right, it's what, so what if he shot first, he he had a right to shoot first, he's the, <laughs> he's the master of whisperers, and, and, and king's hand, and all that, Lord Commander, and like you said, a thousand nicknames. He's and, all the things. So yeah, he's a super fascinating character, really uh, amazing and unique. And the reason we produce so much content on him is he's so he's been around so long. He's got a full life uh, that's really interesting from a political perspective, like taking out all the magic. His life is super fascinating mm-hmm. Just as a political figure, Hand of the King for two different kings and Master Whispers for another, just so much time during a really peak era. And it's so cool that he's he has all this magic associated with him during, despite living during the lowest magic era of the <laughs> Targaryen, you know, 300 years of Targaryen rule. So there's it, conundrums, there's cool stuff, there's lots of character interesting stuff. He's not just a supernatural being, he's got personality that's also really compelling and and a, a personality story that's that's really interesting. So, like I, I mean, obviously, I'm already just viewing up for stuff only and, in
0: the intro. Aziz has done an essay already. It <laughs> goes to show how much there is to say about this character. I can't even control myself. <laughs> it, there's just too much passion there. Um, and of course, you have your Valorarita um, stream and these uh, Crusader Kings two streams, which both of us are doing nowadays. <laughs> yeah, high five. This is fun, right? Yeah. Uh, in my game, Blood Raven is dead after having both his eyes taken out. But yours had a quite, quite a successful life.
1: He did. He was. He was only recently passed. In you know, he's probably in his in his late sixties. And mm-hmm. uh, in that stream, Damon Blackfire is the God Emperor of Essos and Westeros. That's so a little different than canon Westeros. But hey, that's what you know. Games with games, you can do crazy stuff like that.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, it's just it's a, some fun fan fiction. Yeah, we're playing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and also after this stream, today's a busy day for me at 5 p.m. I'll be live on Radio Westeros on their second stream. Aziz, you were there last week talking about Jon Snow. This week, fun. I'll be talking about melisandra
1: Ah, a related topic. Her yes,
0: unbelievably. Radio Westeros is doing related topics, ones <laughs> that feed into each other. I never would have expected that from them with their amazing amount of pre.
1: doesn't make any sense whatsoever.
0: I, ah. Uh... I was expecting them to do something about the Russian
1: Navy next, but <laughs> I, I, they, you never know. Yeah. Also tonight at uh, 8 o'clock after your stream there is, we're doing, we're hosting Quiplash over oh. on Westeros channel. It's a benefit for Ice and Fire Con because they're a non and you know, like a lot of people the the moving and conventions are not doing great right now. Nope. But uh, so we're trying to help them out a little bit, but mostly it's just going to be fun. Quiplash is kind of like mad libs but it's a song of ice and fire quiplash shea wrote questions that are song of ice and fire themed and anyone can participate if you have a browser you can log in and vote on answers so anyone can play and we've got a bunch of podcasters ready to go for giving answers
0: i hope somebody plays as dancing sean to keep my tradition going from con of thrones in dallas (laughs) (laughs) well i'm sure he'll be there (laughs) it's it's important that somebody else is as dancing sean just to that's a good point. That's we'll good
1: we'll point. see if I can get someone to do that. Maybe we'll get Chloe to do that. <laughs> there we
0: go. Oh, I'm sure she would love it. As uh, like, a dancing <laughs> Uh So all uh, that out of the way. Uh, to begin with, we have a quote here from old Brendan Rivers himself actually talking about himself, which is kind of a rarity. When we see him in A Song of Ice and Fire and when we see him as Maynard Plum, spoiler alert, he is Maynard Plum from The Mystery Night. He rarely talks about himself. He's always giving exposition, or he's helping Bran, or he's talking about some sort of deep lore thing. But very rarely is he speaking about how he, how he feels about things. And this is one of those ones, and it's a very, very telling one. Do you want to give it a give it a read? He heard a
1: whisper on the wind, a rustling amongst the leaves. You cannot speak to him. Try as you might, I know I have my own ghosts, Bran, a brother that I loved a brother that I hated, a woman I desired through the trees. I see them still, but no word of mine has ever reached them. The past remains the past. We can learn from it, but we cannot change it.
0: There is something pretty special about George's writing that he can make us feel sympathetic for someone that can be as cruel and cold as Brendan Rivers. He's very much the ends justify the means he will do anything to win. And even in this quote, you have to, it pulls out your heartstrings a little bit. It's like, even for him, somebody that is arguably maybe one of the worst moral people in a song of ice and fire, you're like, Wow. That that must that's that must hurt you personally to live with. He, it's interesting to think about that. This is how Blood Raven defines his own life. Ghosts of his siblings, all the people How many times has he how many times did he watch wondering if he did the right thing as his younger self as his younger self's arrows cut through Blackfire and his sons? replay the last time he spoke to his beloved sheer trying to understand what went wrong with their own. And i think with that in mind let's cast backwards because a lot of people like talking about uh, blood raven now the dude in the tree one staring out from melisandre's visions the thousand eyes in one and let's just go back to when he was just brendan when he was just the son of melissa blackwood please take it away
1: yeah well uh, born a few years after <coughs> Bittersteel and Damon Blackfire, so he was just younger enough that you would think that, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> that they're, when they're training, you know, like young boys training together, that he would have been just outside their age group, that he might have been excluded, especially if he was a little smaller and scrawnier while Bittersteel and Damon were older and bigger. So I wonder if that's where it all started, where he was a little bit left out. That there was rivalries from the get go when they were just little kids, and this is just like you're saying. That's immediately another thing you could feel sympathy for. This kid just kind of left out of what the older kids are doing. I mean, that's very, uh mm-hmm. we feel sympathetic for because it's a realistic uh, thing that you know, even though it's this fantasy realm, that's something that could happen in the real world really easily, and. Of course, that right away, there's the blackwood Bracken rivalry with those two from a young age. And he had sisters that we don't know anything about. Uh, it's possible he he wasn't raised with them, even though they have the same mother. But uh, there's just very little said about them. It's also kind of hard to say how much time he spent at court early in life and how much uh, whether he lived at Raventree Hall for a spell. Or a a span, rather. A spell. we got to be careful with that word. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And so he was raised... The very early years are a little hard to figure for sure where he was, but there's not a whole lot of difference. Um, We know that he came to court at some point and spent a lot of time there most of his life, perhaps. And that his mother was really popular. And that's an interesting point, because the blackwood Bracken rivalry played out you know, a lot when he was a kid over who the king's favorite was, um, with the with the whole deal with the uh, his mistresses and how it went Bracken, then Blackwood, and then back to Bracken. So there was just all this. Geez, that's <laughs> like, like wow. it's
2: all just
1: trying. <laughs> it's,
3: I, yeah. I think I outsiders. Like a blood. No sound. Uh-oh. Oh, shoot. Yeah, I see that. Oh. Nothing. Oh, I think I know. I put on some
0: filter settings. All right, guys, how's this going? I'm just going to gonna talk about Aziz for a minute you know Aziz has a really weird hand going on at the moment it's kind of creepy he showed it to me um mm, people are saying better they're saying better yeah I think the problem was the noise gate I put the noise gate too high oh mm. so it's it's supposed to cut out the um the background noise and my breathing okay so everyone's saying this is better okay um so we can go back to that uh I can just cut this out when I do the the audio for the podcast. Um, okay yeah. so like i was saying i think there's quite a lot uh we can see between um between blood raven and Jon snow and theon and the relationship to rob stark and winterfell um the way they feel like outsiders the even like the physical differences between them like john feels it very strongly that he looks like he should be a, a stark and rob does not rob has that um Riverlander Tully look to him, yeah. and with Bloodraven, that's even more extreme. Where, um I mean, he doesn't look like a Targaryen. He looks like anything. That's he look right. like anything He's yeah. unique, yeah. and Theon feels the same thing. And especially when you look at Tyrion, Tyrion might be the the, the best comp for how he probably felt in court. Where you know Tyrion's a, a dwarf. Bloodraven is obviously not. He is tall and skinny, but he's not. He's albino, which is um people are prejudiced against. He has the red eyes. He's got this weird. Uh, um, birthmark on his face. Like he has to, even though he was Aegon's son, even though he's a great bastard, there's no way he didn't feel like an outsider his entire life. And that has to influence where he's going. And when we, and since George loves talking about outsiders, loves talking about broken bastards and, and um, like bastards, broken things, I forget the third one, but know, there may <laughs> be no bigger example than Blood Raven. And on top of that, he's an old god worshiper in King's Landing. He's there worshiping the old gods with Melissa. Everything about him sets him apart from the rest of the court.
1: Yeah. The, the old gods part makes me think a little bit of Sansa of all people, mm-hmm. uh, because she was herself like a, a, a lonely old God, old gods worshiper amongst the, the amongst King's Landing. Although she also worshiped the seven. He's mm-hmm. a chance. Blood Raven did too, because he was also cross-cultural and, Maybe he, you know, went to church from time to time and said the words. He may not have believed in it very much, but, you know, I, I wonder about that. I wonder how much he just said, screw it. No one likes me. I'm going to lean into this like Tyrion did. And just mm-hmm. like, I totally agree with you. He's the perfect comp because even though Tyrion wasn't hand for very long and Bloodraven was hand for a long time, it's a similar enough point that while Tyrion was hand, he got blamed for a lot of things that weren't his fault or yeah. got because people were just apt to do that because of his appearance and his reputation. And his, of course, his reputation wasn't terribly deserved because it also is based a lot in his appearance. And that's you know a double whammy of not deserving it. But like Blood Tyrion or like Bloodraven, whoever you want to whose ever perspective you want to root this in, mm-hmm. they <clears throat> accepted this. They're like, well, that's never going to change. Like Tyrion, yeah. that's one of the first things we learn about Tyrion is he's telling Jon Snow accept what you are the world's not going to forget it and blood raven's not going to have any illusions about that either he's like well what's going to happen am i going to cease to be a red-eyed albino <laughs> it's like that let's see that's never going to well actually i guess it kind of ceased to happen when he was really old but
0: well <laughs> he was like a skeleton at that point point. and we, i have the quote here it says uh, let me give you some counsel bastard lannister said never forget you are what you are for the world for surely the world will not make it your strength then it can never be your weakness arm yourself in it It'll never be used to hurt you. You have to imagine Bloodraven was telling himself that from when he was very young and kids were probably picking on him, especially the other great bastards like uh, we'll get into this a little bit later. But Damon was basically perfect in all the ways that Bloodraven is not Daron, too. They were both classically Targaryen. Well, Bloodraven is everything. But so that has to have worked on him. Oh, and uh, sorry, I missed a super chat. Um, your last great night uh, with uh, four ninety nine. He says Bloodraven is the reason aegon the fifth became king oh, thank you very much for the donation uh that is something that i think uh indie geek or robert put out the other day where he made the case and i've heard this theory before that um that blood raven for some reason was angling to get aegon the iron throne especially after he married betha blackwood i mean it's an interesting idea it's it's one of those things that's hard to say is it blood raven or is it an accident because like we were talking about he gets blamed for everything is he yeah. actually behind everything? Was he behind the Great um, Spring Sickness? No, but he did get blamed for that. A lot of Targaryens died. Is that his fault? Some of them definitely probably are, but all, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, he, he may have been
1: a victim of some timing on some of that. Yeah, It looks bad when the king and his heirs die. And the, <laughs> it's precisely them and no one else. <laughs> and it works out exactly for
0: you. Yeah. And it's like, Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, mm. Bloodraven, maybe that one. I mean, you can blame him for the Blackfires when he chopped off all their heads and shot them through arrows, but it I would be interested to know what his role in exactly was with shaping Targaryen dynasty, especially like when it came to making sure Arianon never made it to the throne. I can see him doing that.
1: I have strong feelings about that one as well. I mean, the guy drank wildfire and <laughs> while he was drunk, and I, I have a little bit of headcanon that... Someone encouraged him in this. He's like, he's drunk, he's crazy. Let's see,
0: I don't know, maybe we can get him to drink wildfire. <laughs> <laughs> maybe uh, Maynard Plum showed up again and they were having a great night carousing. Just egged him on, get uh, it? Egged, egged him on. Oh, Aziz with the yolks. Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and one thing about his childhood growing up is, I mean, obviously he got dispossessed. This was sort of a running theme throughout Aegon the Unworthy's life. He would have his favorite wife but also his favorite kids i mean it tended to be damon the whole way through but it sort of changed like for a while um blood raven was clearly his favorite and then he, and before that it was Bittersteel, and at some point it might have been sheer especially when he was in love with the mother they seemed to be kind of linked and it's weird to think about the relationship between the great bastards and how they relate to each other and that there must have been some sense of rivalry between them like at some point maybe some of them had like they accepted it like, this guy is ridiculous. How are you supposed to please him? And they found like camaraderie in that. Maybe that's what, what uh, Bittersteel and Damon had. But there had to have been, on some level, animosity between them trying to please Aegon and trying to be the top of the court, basically, behind Daron.
1: I think I agree with that, yeah. Especially because that was playing out amongst the adults. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if there's a bunch of kids, and they're at court, and they're just doing, for the most part, mimicking the adult's behavior, then they're going to grow up. They're growing up amidst a lot of what's likely a lot of infighting mm-hmm. and it's not, it, it wasn't civil war at that point, but it, you know, eventually became that a long time later and there was this, a lot of really corrupt and terrible figures surrounding Aegon IV trying to manipulate him because he was so easily manipulated you could basically, the pat a recurring pattern was give him a new girlfriend and you become Hand of the King. That happened like three or four times. And, and it's like, well, like this guy's. so the, and, and the farther it went, the more clear that this pattern became. It's like, boy, this guy's really, can really get what you want from this King. If you just give him some hot girl. And <laughs> yeah, that pattern was like, had to become very clear to even the, the thinnest of minds. And, uh, so there's just a lot of, like, so like you said, this is what they were brought up in. They were brought up amongst a court that was particularly competitive and backstabish and, uh, factionalized there are just so many these factions that we probably weren't even aware of because so many of these people that are surrounding egg on the fourth were uh, had business interests for example mm. they wanted to get him to sign off on certain tax rebates or uh, maybe adding taxes to certain other things because th- they were competing with somebody's like he taxed my rival for me and i you know i i'm tax free and they're taxed etc just any sort of grift you can imagine was probably <laughs> happening. Young grift, old uh, grift. All you know, the grifts. Grift. Yeah. Uh, so there's just all that going on. And and that's what they, the, the kind of world they were brought up in. And then you, like you said, Damon Blackfire, then you have this guy who's, you can't be better than him. Perfect. Yeah. And and even he's even perfect apparently in how he treats other people. I mean that's probably why Bloodraven loved him. It wasn't because he was so great. It was because he was so great and he treated him well. I think if you're so great and you get treated badly by that person, it hurts more. <laughs> so I I feel like he probably treated him really well. I think that's the thing about Damon that he was just so well liked. He was not, not only a, an amazing person, but he also like went out of his way to treat people well. That's uh, kind of a headcanon. It's not fully supported, but I think a lot of people feel that way. Yeah. We'll get
0: so. We'll go into Damon a little bit later.
1: Yeah, Uh, to me, it's a little bit like it's not Tywin Lannister because Tywin's a a, a scumbag. But it's the same (laughs) kind of thing where Kevin Lannister was like, oh, my brother is so much better than me, so much greater at everything. I'm just going to be his second. You know, I'm just (laughs) going to sign up and follow him. So I feel like there were probably a lot of people like that surrounding Damon. (laughs) <laughs> you know. <laughs> and so and Bloodraven didn't have wouldn't wouldn't have had any of that. He might have been one of the ones following him, but no one was following him at that age. So
0: it appears that uh, Aegon agreed with you because not only did um some of the great bastards, like I think Bittersteel, got sent home for a while, but Bloodraven not only stayed at court, at least as he got older, he became a valuable member of the court to the point that, you know, everyone makes a big deal out of Damon Blackfire getting the sword Blackfire, but Bloodraven was given Dark Sister. And there's only two Targaryen Valyrian steel blades and dark sister has been held by very important members of court before, before him was Aemon the Dragon Knight, Daemon the Rogue Prince held it, Visenya, like that is a huge, massive honor that sort of gets overshadowed because we you know it's not the Sword of Kings, but within the Targaryen family, that is a huge deal who has dark sister.
1: That had to be a big moment for him too, because mm-hmm. by then he had to have been, we don't know when he got it, but. We know he had it by at least the year 204. He may have already had it during the Mm. Blackfire Rebellion. Um, But uh, Bittersteel didn't get a sword. (laughs) (laughs) Nope, got nothing. (laughs) So so that might have been like a, a real moment of satisfaction for him. He's like, I got this and my brother didn't. And he may have been... This may have been at a point where Agor had kept him out of a lot of things. Like that whole he's three years older much larger mm-hmm. so you can't train you can't sit with us unless you wear pink kind of thing i can imagine agor was very uh, a bully you know and used his greater size and age to really enforce that and this might have been really sad like you take sucked on that agor i got dark <laughs> <laughs> you know like it could really yeah, might satisfying
0: it must have especially um been tough for agor because the things that agor was good at um, Agor was obviously the great bastard of favor before Bloodraven. I mean, we're talking about the Great bastard. It's Damon Blackfire, Agor Rivers, otherwise known as Bittersteel, Bloodraven, Brendan Rivers, and Shira Sea Star. But the things Agor is good at, Damon was better at. And not only that, Damon got the Targaryen look, whereas um Agor did not. He didn't get a sword. He doesn't get to look like a Targaryen. He's all got with the eyes, yeah. <laughs> he's he's like second class. He's not as smart as Bloodraven. No, nope. he's like he's just like in between. And that must have really driven him crazy in this hyper competitive environment where he can't you can't do anything. The Damon, he's Aegon's favorite, but maybe you can try and bully Bloodraven. He's, he's a weird little guy.
1: Yeah. And here's something that I think is a little obscure that a lot of people aren't aware of. The Bittersteel for a little while was the number one mm. uh, great bastard, because if you if you think about it this way we have to remember that Daemon was not revealed to be Aegon's bastard until he was about 10 or 11 or 12 mm-hmm. years old. So before that, the oldest great bastard was Bittersteel, based on what people knew. And at one point, very early on, King Aegon threatened to make one of his great bastards king over Daron. And it had to be Bittersteel. Had to be Agor, yeah. He was the oldest by far, and it wasn't going to be Bloodraven because of his look and all that. <laughs> um, at his age. So that's yet another thing that Agor is probably bitter over that, and that his family, whether he's bitter over it or not, his family probably imparted that bitterness, which then he would take out on Bloodraven. So it just feeds that it, it's you know all kind of feeds into that, and whatever you know, Melissa was a much nicer woman, but she probably <laughs> at least told stories about the back and forth between the two families, and bitter uh, Bloodraven may have not taken them so sweetly as his mother did.
0: <laughs> no, that's that's probably really true, and. It's basically Agor's life is him eventually losing everything to his other great bastard siblings, and um, and then also, almost
1: getting it back and losing it again, yeah, right? Like they had he, a resurgence, came close.
0: <laughs> he almost got it back, but then uh, I mean, he even married Caleb Blackfire, so he was on his way to even claiming um, Damon's um, Damon's heritage. But I think a, a, a modern day comp I think works really well if you're trying to understand their relationship. I think it's very similar to Littlefinger and Brandon Stark. In particular, the story how Brandon Stark and Littlefinger got into that duel, Brandon cuts them apart. Now, Raven is a much more capable military leader than Littlefinger, but they sort of fit the same kind of archetypes. And Littlefinger afterwards essentially made a vow to himself that he would never fight the way those guys do. He would never try and win on the same battleground. He's going to win his own way. And Littlefinger has used that and he became... You know, master of coin, he uses economics, he's much more sneaky. And you can see that very much in similar to Blood Raven, whereas there's a million Agor rivers out there, but there's only one Littlefinger, there's only one Blood Raven. And <laughs> Notcast was talking about this uh, on one of their previous episodes where it makes Littlefinger insanely valuable to the court because there's not that many High Lords that can do these things. These things are normally seen as second class or like um, middle tier kind of skills. Everyone wants to be Damon Blackfire. Nobody wants to be the guy running around just like being the Master of Whispers. And in that way, Bloodraven found this niche that made him more valuable than he ever could. And it probably is very likely related to Bittersteel and Damon and just finding his own place, much in the that's same way Littlefinger point. and Brandon Stark did.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. It's super rare for for the noble families to have people that want to go into that line of work. If you look back at the history of Master of Whispers, there's very few of them are are highborn nobles i mean larry mm-hmm. strong is a rare example and he had and he was you know had a foot thing so that's part of of, of his deal so like someone like Damon targaryen not uh, A.K. you know the man Damon blackfire was named for he's a rare example of someone that would get into that sort of on um, you know seedy underworld business but you're right it's super rare and mm-hmm. and that's a great point because blood raven did have those skills and it made him valuable, even while making him hated and and a figure of of loathing. And it expl- it also goes a long way towards explaining how people like Littlefinger and Varys are allowed to live, yeah, with people like Tywin around. It's like, how did Tywin not kill them off? Well, it's like,
0: well, he's they're they're too valuable. You can't kill yeah. them. You can't exactly. kill Blood or Raven either. Exactly,
1: and it's the same thing, like. Uh, it's, it's a, a similar concept to some of these other characters that are coming along. It's like, that's how Varus was able to survive multiple regimes is he just keeps making himself useful. Even if they don't like him, uh, they don't want to be anything like him or anything like that. It's like undeniably he's useful. <laughs> so yeah, definitely
0: about that. And when you think about Ned's rela- reaction to little finger and Stannis's reaction and all these kind of guys that are, have similarities in sort of, Upbringing and value systems to maybe someone like Agor and Damon, you can see where that animosity will come from. It's so plain they don't like this type of person, and it's very frustrating for them that they are doing all the things they think they should do as nobles, and yet Bloodraven continues ri- rising higher. Yeah, <laughs> he just continues getting more power. He gets Dark Sister. He even I'm gets like- Shiera Sea Star, which you know you don't you don't quote unquote get her, but you know that's how Agor saw it, and this yeah. rivalry just continued. And he's like, all the things that Agor's bullying him for most likely throughout their lives, Blood Ravens turning into a strength.
1: What are you supposed to do about that? <laughs> Get really bitter, I suppose. Be the bitter steel, yeah. <laughs> and he did have, like you said too, it's not just that Bloodraven just started ascending in all these things that he made fun of him for, but it's also the the fact that, like we said, Bittersteel was the one ascending, and then he his star fell, and then this younger brother that he picked on is the one that rose in his place not necessarily to be king but to be as close as you can Mm -hmm. to the king and to have all these responsibilities and trust and you wonder too about the relate again the personal angle here it did we if we're assuming and i think most of us are on board with the brother he loved being damon well it's hard to argue against damon loving him back if damon was that great of a person Mm -hmm. and just and especially if Damon didn't love him, would Bloodraven really have loved Damon if if Damon wasn't a fan of him?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's kind of hard to... It's a little harder to Im- imagine that. So, I wonder, too, if that was part of... If Bittersteel was also disappointed or even angry or bitter over that relationship, if he thought that, you know, Bloodraven wasn't deserving of Damon's love. Like, who knows pe- how people were possessive of Damon, but I imagine it was a thing, because... He was just so great and people loved him. So. And, <laughs> and his washboard yeah, abs. Yeah, people are people like they they argue over who like, you know, they want to they want to be the guy who's his light shines on. You know, when you're that amazing, everybody competes for your attention and affection. So I, I can really see that being a thing that they also competed over a man's love
0: <laughs> without. I mean, being... sure. I mean, he lost <laughs> that over she star. But I mean, that's not the only relationship with value in this court. Obviously Damon, especially after Aegon essentially hints that he's gonna be the next king, well then that's the next person to suck up to. And it appears Bittersteel took that to heart and said, Well, you know, I lost that on the other ones, but at least I'll I'll beat Bloodraven to Damon. But probably <laughs> probably by relating to him on more of a personal level, they probably shared more interests, they probably shared more values because Bloodraven's such a weird person.
1: Yeah, and I wonder about his do we have a section in here about his relationship with with uh, Baylor Brakespeare? We don't. We about- you can do that right now,
0: though, my, my so dude.
1: Let's talk about that because obviously the one guy who was maybe a match for Damon at court was Baylor. He wasn't mm-hmm. as quite as handsome, but he was very handsome, and he was the real heir rather than a guy that some people thought would make a better king. Mm-hmm. And he was also super chivalrous and really widely loved. And as we see in the Hedge Knight, like it was a big, big tragedy when he died and the realm really really grieved because he seemed to have earned his his position as a beloved figure. Mm-hmm. And so that's another thing. I wonder you wonder how this all plays into it cuz a lot of them would have been maybe it not factionalism like the Damon team versus the Baylor team. They certainly I really wonder what they were like to each other. If how competitive they were with each other and and how that set the tone for everyone else. Right? Yeah. If Damon and Baylor got along, then you know their squads would get along, but if Damon <laughs> didn't get along, then their squads would also, you know, be like the 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 uh, what
0: are those gangs in, um, the Jets and the the dancing gangs from? The- oh my God! If you want to about musicals, we're gonna. It's West Side Story. Is that it? Yeah, West Side Story. Yeah. How did I know that? <laughs> oh God. I- you're a secret musicals fan, I guess. It's out there. <laughs> it's out there, guys. Apparently, I love musicals. <laughs> um, so
1: something like that where we could there's a couple of possibilities where maybe they got along, maybe they were really competitive. Because they, you know, Baylor did notably beat Damon a couple of times in joust <laughs> stuff. It did seem like Baylor came out ahead on those. Um, which that's a whole adds a whole nother angle. You have this whole other faction where there's another really impressive guy that has younger brothers backing him up and and, you know, he probably had a lot of Dornish men on his side as well, uh, for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's just a really big, diverse court full of interesting personalities that we know. Uh, Bloodraven would have been too young to have really been a real leader amongst that, especially given his social. Um,
0: well, stigmas, yeah,
1: yeah, stigmas is a good way to put it. Like little little things would hold him back in that kind of situation um, unfairly. But but still it would happen. So uh it's really fascinating. There's lots of possibilities and the personalities really, really stand out and and give us a lot to work with.
0: Definitely. And with uh moving, I, I think more towards a modern comp again between these characters, because George likes writing in patterns. Um, it seems like the relationship with uh Bloodraven and Bittersteel may have been something close to the relationship between Jon Snow and Theon, where neither of them are the favorites. But they both have their roles at court, and they both have the things that are marking them apart from the trueborns. Like it's one of those things where early on in A Game of Thrones, where there is sort of this weird tension between Jon Snow and Theon, where even though they're on the outside, they're still jockeying for position, and mo- more importantly, they're both jockeying for Rob's friendship. They, bo- yes. they both struggle to get it. That's a
1: fantastic parallel, yeah. Because Jon, like you said, you, we already set the stage with Jon and Bloodraven having some things in common. Mm-hmm. Um, and the bastardy and the, the Balerian steel sword and the night's watch. And the, like you said, the older brother that everyone loved. I mean, Rob is perfect. <laughs> so very much like Damon Blackfire in so many ways. He's like a combo of, of Damon, of, of Rob and Renly, I suppose. Cause the popularity of Renly is a really big deal. Like the usurping his older brother kind of thing that fits mm-hmm. really well. And just how everybody loved him. And, but Rob, fits better as the military, because Renly doesn't have this great reputation as a warrior. No, And Rob was maybe less of a hand-to-hand fighter, but his skills as a general are undisputed, very undefeated. Very. Yeah, I mean, the dude was, was a, a prodigy of battlefields and, and, and strategy like that. Plus, he had one of the best second-in-commands on his team, which, hey, but that's part of what happens when you're a charismatic leader. You, mm-hmm. you attract great people to your team, and that makes your team better. And that's part of what it's like a snowball effect. The better your team gets with all these people flocking to your banner, the more other people want to come. It's a snowball effect for sure. Um, mm-hmm. that, that really kind of describes what happened when Rob was crowned. And when <laughs> David was crowned, it was probably similar because it it was very sudden, right? He ra- He was arrested almost. We don't quite know how that all went <laughs> down. He escaped narrowly and the next thing we know he's crowned. And a lot of people immediately joined him. It's pretty similar to Rob in that way. So it's a, really, yeah, you're right. It's a great parallel.
0: It may have even been a similar um, encounter where when Damon says he's going to crown himself, when Rob does the same, no one's really sure what Theon's going to do. They may have been unsure about bitter steel too. Like, I mean, he's also an heir. Rob's more popular, but like there's, there's this tension that they could go their own ways that Theon could go back to the iron islands and become Prince again. If he wanted to like, it, it's not clear that the, the loyalty will be there and yet it ends up being so bitter steel joins Damon Blackfire and, um, and Theon joins Rob, but then you have John and Bloodraven both holding back from joining their popular brothers in rebellion. Yeah. For, I, I would guess we're, I mean, we'll get to it in a little bit with the Daron section, but probably something more having to do with duty and their feelings towards the realm in general, rather than their personal feelings. Well said. Um, and then there's, of course, the Blackfire rebellions, where uh, we're not going to really go into the details too much here. But I think it's important to note that the Blackfire rebellions really stopped becoming about Bloodraven and Damon, and really became Bloodraven versus Bittersteel. The back and forth between them. There's quotes when uh, when Bloodraven is posing as Dan- as Maynard Plum, and we see over and over and over again that it's not just. He is punishing these Blackfire kids almost as a way to get to Bittersteel. It's like none of these kids have a chance, but he's really trying to stop Agor from using them to gain the power that he has gained. And to upset the, the realm's um, relative peace that happens in between them. I mean, yes, it's mostly assumed, I think, by people that the Blackfire kids would not have continually invaded if Bittersteel was not shoving Blackfire into their hands and pushing them across the ocean.
1: Yeah, that's I totally agree. That's the the real heart of the Blackfire rebellions beyond the first one, if not the first one also, is Mm -hmm. Bittersteel for sure. It's his bitterness that drove so much of it, his iron sense of getting revenge and his just unbreakable (laughs) determination. Is really something. It's uh, it show. It's it's been born again in characters like John Connington. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, he's the same coming back after a long exile, leading a Blackfire can, can candidate in front of the Golden Company. Yeah, that's pretty damn similar. It's right on the money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like whoa, that's exactly the same thing, minus the grayscale. <laughs> but. Yeah, and like you said, it's the, the, the politics are credible here, but if you keep it on the personal side, what must Blood Raven have been thinking here? That's really like you said, killing those the kids to try to get to Agor is really really ruthless, but also you can see, like you said, you could really see the strategy behind it, and it almost worked. Oh, um, <laughs> very nearly. Uh, yeah, but like you gotta figure if Bloodraven liked Damon, if he was if he loved his brother, then it must have been what, what went through his head to kill his kill the man and then kill his two eldest children i mean he had to know those kids those are his nephews i mean damn like what what goes through your mind when you're doing that like well this has to be done is it like stannis where he just well we gotta burn this this kid that's <laughs> the way of it no there's no way around it gotta burn him <laughs> or is it the the mind that decides that this is the correct move and can actually go through with it is that is that's a hard thing to, to wrap your head around, but we know it exists.
0: And it's also the escalation in Bloodraven's treatment of the Blackfires when they start coming over. Like, I think a lot of people forget that there was a point when Bloodraven had Bittersteel in his custody. He was chained and brought before King Aerys for treason. He had him right there. And the same situation we see later with Aenys Blackfire, where Blood Bloodraven does not hesitate. He lops the kid's head off and challenges the new King Aegon to punish him for it, which Aegon does. But it's really showing this. It's not just a set amount of ruthlessness. It's not a set amount of cruelty that Blood Raven feels towards the Blackfires and Bittersteel, It is getting worse over time. And this <laughs> is when he was only in his 60s or his 50s or 60s. We know him these days in his 100, what, 120, 130s? I think he's 125. Now, 125. Yeah. And uh, like I was talking about with Emmett with uh, Euron Greyjoy a few weeks ago, like, this is, this was the starting point. This is like the last, this, like, <laughs> him killing Anis is such a, an, a huge emotional and hard thing to do. Like you can, like Damon Blackfire was the heat of the battle. There were actually armies. He had to, it, it, the killing of, execution of Aeneas was murder. Like, in and, no uncertain terms. Like, does he
1: think, what, what does he think of violating guests right there? I mean, this is a man who's got a, 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 some sort of close with the old gods. It's not clear how much magic he was using by that point old god's magic i mean because he was clearly using glamours as we yes. see from Peter Plum. uh but as far as old god stuff it's not clear how you know whether he was skin changing by that point he probably was mm. i mean with ravens obviously that seems pretty clear but whether he had northern sensibilities whether he believed in guest right as a as a something that the gods might enforce. Mm-hmm. I would lean towards no, given that he both was a Kinslayer and a violator of guest rights. So, and he doesn't seem to have been punished for it, at least not directly. Uh, so,
0: no, he, it's like a Jon Snow at the end of season eight, where it's like, oh no, he got banished to the, to the Night's Watch. Bummer for Bloodraven. It's probably where they <laughs> wanted to go anyway.
1: Yeah, yeah, he may have, inten- yeah, I, I, I'm not fully sold on him engineering it entirely, but yes, wanting to go there is like, There's definitely some potential there for sure. Like the guy was probably having dreams or something. I mean, there's yeah.
0: (laughs) Maybe a call beyond the wall, like brand has something similar to that. Um, just we're gonna go to the next session, which is uh King Daron the good. But I just wanted to take a second and say, like, we just hit um two hundred concurrent viewers. Yeah. That's a giant number. Uh thank you all for showing up. Um slam that like button, share, do all the things. Um we're going to keep going till about four. We've got a few more sections, and we'll move on to some questions and stuff like that. Because I got a hard timeline with uh, Rio Westeros. Maybe we'll have Aziz back at some point, and we'll do more blood raving. Because clearly, neither of us can shut up about the guy. <laughs> it never ends. Yeah. Um, but yeah, thanks. Thank you all so much for for doing that. Um, slam all the things. Yeah.
1: So, oh show.
0: Yeah. Let's move on to King Daron. I think this is one of the relationships with Bloodraven, that I think is the least explored in the fandom. I definitely haven't seen much about it. What what do you make of what he thought of King Daron? Because we look back at that quote, there's only three people mentioned, but he has four major siblings. So yeah. someone's being left out, and most people think it's King Daron, but it's It's King Daron he was the most loyal to. Like, What's going on here?
1: Yeah, I think that one thing about Bloodraven that I'm pretty adamant about is that he... Really does care about the state of the realm. I think he does have some sense of making sure the realm is relatively at peace. I mean, he had some wrong ideas about how to get there. I think he was. <laughs> I mean, at one, my favorite Bloodraven went too far example is how he's such a hardliner with traitors. He's he, he, he's like no, if they you know treason breeds more treason. He sounds like Joffrey because mm-hmm. if you. You go fast forward to a, a to a Clash of Kings, a storm, a storm of swords. It's the same conversation where Tywin's like Joffrey. When your enemies go to their knees, you help them back up. If they defy you, serve them steel and fire. And Joffrey's like, "No, traitors are traitors." And I'm like, "Dude, this is Bloodraven talking right here." Cause Blood Ravens obviously vastly more competent than Joffrey. I'm not yeah. trying to. <laughs> it's just on that like one a smidge similar. Even Stannis accepts people kneeling. Right, mm-hmm. and even Stannis. So, uh, if if Tywin Lannister, the Castamere guy, is telling you <laughs> you're going too far with your ruthlessness, it's like,
0: uh, yeah, you might have a point there. <laughs> it's so it's pretty it's pretty something that the how far he goes, and also that, um, like you were saying, like these are horrible things he's doing throughout his life. We see him when he's actually when he's Maynard plumbing. He's describing. The different people that are there at the court and he's like, well, that guy's father was a traitor. That guy's father was a traitor. Obviously, he must be too. It's like a, it's like a long list of like, you don't forget anything, man. But, <laughs> yeah. but beyond that, King Daron, no punishment for any of these things. It's almost mm-hmm. like he treats them like the mountain, like it's his mad dog on a leash. Yeah, he's
1: he's like. It's like good cop, bad cop, where Daron the king wants to be the good I and mean, he's literally Daron the good. Mm-hmm. And it, it, so he gets to have the great reputation and all the bad things that happen because, like anyone who has to carry out something unpleasant under his orders, it, it can, there's sort of some separation from it. So Bloodraven can kind of take the bad rep, whereas Daron is the shining, you know, to some people, <laughs> not a great example of a king because he didn't look like one. But, you know, he wasn't like a big warrior type. But as a leader, as a uniter, he was excellent. Um, and I think that's something Bloodraven believed in, that he saw daron's uh, commitment to peace and commitment to changing the realm. Daron was very big on trying to get the Targaryens away from the incest marriages. Mm-hmm. He was big on... He was probably the second most holy of the kings. Obviously, Baelor was the most holy, the most believer, the bigger, biggest believer in the god of the seven. And Daron very much took after Baylor. He was, they were, they were tight. So that's an important distinction as well. So I think that Damon, or Brendan was something of a true believer in the concept of uh, making the realm, like sacrificing for the realm, and that the realm mattered more than these smaller scale grievances or individual uh, problems between individual people rather, Mm -hmm. uh, factions and things like that, that those are all small, small potatoes compared to the health of the realm and peace in the realm. And that's why he was so aggressive against black fires and things like that. I would say he was too aggressive, but I think that was why, you know, I think he, he believed in Daron's vision.
0: Yeah. He believed in his vision, the, the peace of the realm. I mean, we know where he ends up that clearly those are when everything else is stripped away, when he's in the tree and he's watching history and trying to fight the true enemy those are the things that are motivating him so I, yeah, he's I, still out the realm even after yeah so he serves the realm at the wall yeah you're right yeah i mean very much uh, i think uh, someone made a great point on twitter where when maester aemon is talking about the man in 10,000 like what would you do with the sun in your arms versus um versus your duty blood raven is also one of those figures that would do his he does his duty no matter what and to him it Apparently, is King Daron and his kids. It's not just King Daron. It's he uh, essentially acts as king for King Ares. He doesn't particularly like Acar, Makar, and Egg, but he certainly serves them and helps them. He's yeah. he is not plotting against anybody and like, well, maybe he is. Maybe some of them died like Arian on, at, at his hand because he thought they were dangerous, but he takes his service to the Targaryen family and by extension, the seven kingdoms more seriously than anybody. And that may be just the basis of him and Daron that it doesn't seem like there's anything personal between them. There's trust, but yeah. personal like love I don't think that's there. And with, I'm glad you brought up Makar because Makar
1: is also one of the best examples of this proof, which is that Makar did not like Blood Raven. Makar, no. when blood was named hand of the King, Makar ran, ran off like Stannis. Did. Yeah. He was, Makar is Stannis, basically.
0: (laughs) Yeah, basically.
1: It's like a real family. (laughs) And uh, he, meaning his own, not... The the dysfunctional part of his brothers, that fits perfectly. But he actually had more than one daughter. Uh, So it's a perfect... So despite this dislike of him, despite this mistrust of him, he's like, you're my hand, and you're my hand the whole time. And things were under Makar... I feel like that's something George has been saving because under Makar's reign is surprisingly undocumented. Not a lot
0: there until his death, right? Right. In between, there's
1: a lot of things we can kind of guesstimate. There's some very interesting events, but there's a lot of just open space where we don't know what happened. We know that there was a really big, hot summer. Uh, We know there was a plague. We know there was... Um, the Peak Rebellion, that's where, that's where Makar died. Yeah. Goddamn peaks. Always the peaks. (laughs) We know that it's during that time that Daron the Drunkard died and his wife remarried um, to, uh, well, that was the remarrying. The first three, she had married uh, Valar Mm -hmm. and then Valar died and she married Daron the Drunkard and then he died
0: and then. (laughs) Yeah, bummer about that one. I also think that there's, um, Two really good points about maybe the relationship between Daron and blood uh, Bloodraven. I think another really good compound. We talked about maybe Tywin and the Mountain, but I think another really good one is Torrhen Stark and Brandon Snow. Particularly mm-hmm. the idea that Torrin um there's the story that Brandon Snow went to him and said, I will kill Aegon's dragons for you. He went and got the weirwood bows. It's assumed he's the, the dark-eyed youth in the in the weird vision that Bran that Brand has. And, I agree, yeah. And then you see. Bloodraven and Daron, it looks like Bloodraven did the same thing. He killed three dragons for Daron in Redgrass Field. He killed uh, Damon and his his two sons. And it, it could very much be that kind of relationship where Torn is the king who knelt, who made the great decisions, but he always keeps that character, that Brandon Snow, that mountain next to him, ready to do the dirty work while he keeps his reputation.
1: That's a great point. And I, that's one uh, that's new to me. I haven't thought of I hadn't thought of the brand is no killing three dragons versus Bloodraven killing three Thera, dragons. Aemon and Aegon. That's really good. Yeah, and certainly the personalities fit pretty well. Torrin Stark is certainly seemed like the type that was his people first before himself. Like that's a king mm. who gives up his kingdom is, is very much sending that message, or he's a coward. I mean, that's also. I could go either way, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't lean that way because the dude did immediately march with all his men south in the first place. Like I doubt he was just like, I'm going to pretend and then give up at the last minute, but that's, but it's
0: possible. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, but also yeah. know Darren never saw the field. So, yeah. <laughs> so very, I think that's kind of a, a close relationship between them. And then, um, Oh God, what was the other point? I had two shit. What was the second one?
1: <laughs> um, about I see that here. Is that related or is that something else?
0: Um, Oh, oh, the point about the Raven's teeth. You, oh, yeah. Can you imagine another king ara- allowing a personal loyalty retinue in their presence belonging to another king other than Tywin Lannister? Nobody so, else does that. That is a huge th- amount of trust to allow armed soldiers to guard the Red Keep loyal to Bloodraven alone.
1: Yeah, and it's it's at least 300 of them existed too mm-hmm. and they're not only warriors they're clearly secret police type because he would send them out to make arrests and do mm-hmm. there's examples of them doing spy things for him and uh, on the other hand you can really see why it was needed because mm-hmm. aegon IV was so corrupt and had so many had given so many positions to people that he had sold like he sold the command of the Lord Commander of the Gold Cloaks. He sold mm-hmm. the positions for favors. And it was really hard for Daron to uproot all these corrupt installments. And in order to fight back against these really dirty figures, he had to get dirty with them. Mm-hmm. And that's what Bloodraven was an expert, I think, at, at rooting these people out. So if Bloodraven comes along and says, look, I need to a form a, a force to deal with this, they're going to come back at us. Like These are corrupt, powerful people that do not want to lose their cushy, Corrupt positions. So if you're going to take them out, if you're going to remove them from their jobs, they're going to see that coming. They're going to see the writing on the wall and try to stop you before you remove them from their positions and, and get rid of these cushy back, you know, back end deals they've got working that mm-hmm. they want to hang on to as long as possible. That get that that there's real m- potential for murder and uh, things like that going on with with such a when you're taking away power from powerful cruel people. Mm-hmm. Ruthless people getting power removed is a you can't just say you're out, you're gone. <laughs> they will try to get that power back or try to stop you. And that's where I think you can see why the Raven Seeds were necessary. But once this problem is over, once this phase of, of reformation is finished, then you've got this oppressive secret police type situation <laughs> where it's no longer needed. And then they're a problem. <laughs> and so you wonder if that's part of the whole the whole sending them to the wall was part of that because a lot of them went with him. And it was like, well, this is a way to kind of get rid of that element as well. So it it does get pretty complicated, but you can really see where the conflict lies and that makes it so compelling. It's clear where the conflict is. It's just not (laughs) what all the details are.
0: And uh, I mean, really allowing, especially because it's not like blood Raven is just little finger. It's not like he's various. He has a claim on the iron throne. You're giving him a personal army in your capital. That's, that's an insane thing to do. But Daron and Ares and uh, Makar clearly thought it was worth it. That Bloodraven and his loyalty were so high that they had, if they had qualms about the Raven's teeth, they never let them get in the way. That's yeah. That that says a lot about his relationship to them. Uh, also, I missed a super chat. Um, sorry, uh, Lumina M um, with uh, two Canadian dollars, I think. Love this topic and thank you. Thank you so much for the super chat. Yeah, uh, great. I love everything about Bloodraven um <laughs> super great topic so i think this is a good time to move on to the woman he desired um yeah. and that is uh Sea star. she was born to lady Serenai of lease and she sounds like a very much a Melisandre kind of figure uh they talk about how she has otherworldly beauty she has dark magic and witchcraft there's stories that she bathes in blood to keep her young which you know a glamour would do um who knows if she, maybe she wore one as she got older? If she's that kind of person, and all of this, all of these um, skills and things that are said about her mother get carried on to Shiera, the <laughs> youngest of Aegon's bastards. But she, much like Bloodraven, she shares some kind of oddness to her. I mean, she is born with the classic Valyrian silver blonde hair, but she also has like uh, the mismatched blue and green eyes, and this pr- and. Almost as like a way to play off Blood Raven, she wore almost nothing but white, whereas Blood Raven wore uh scarlet and sort of gray smoke black colors all the time. It's almost like I mean, it's George, so it, I think he wrote them to be like the two halves of a two sides of a coin sort of thing, very similar characters,
1: yeah, Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> <laughs> I, I gosh, why would George think of Beauty and the Beast? I have no idea
0: <laughs> Where did he ever get that from? And they they, the share and Bloodraven obviously shared um, very, very strongly in their interest. It's said over and over again that she was interested in magic. She was interested in the arcane and spell crafting. Um, it's noted that she spoke a bunch of languages even when she was young. So she's seemingly a genius, maybe a mental match for Bloodraven, maybe smarter than him. I mean, certainly possible. Um and then there's this quote here from Duncan Egg about her rumors, rumors about her, which sound exactly like the ones you hear about Bloodraven, where Duncan says, you've known queens and princesses. Did they dance with demons and practice the black arts? Aegon says, Lady Shire does. Lord Br- Lord Br- wow, Lord Bloodraven's paramour, she bathes in blood to keep her beauty. I mean, could there be two characters made for each other more than Shire and Bloodraven? <laughs> they just love that
1: magic. And they came along at a great time for it because after Daron's death, we get the bookish Ares the first, not to be confused with the Mad King, but mm-hmm. he certainly may have been a little bit off, but not in the cruel, ruthless type of off. He was just more of the, yeah, I love prophecies. This is the guy that probably is responsible for rediscovering the same prophecy that mm-hmm. Rhaegar got to. May have read the same books because he would just love to hang out with the scrolls. And this is also fascinating, because like we said at the beginning, the most magically inclined Targaryen king, and probably the most inclined hand of the king, came during this low point of magic when there's very little there's no dragons, there's no... Uh, I mean, we know there's something, there's some magic going on, because, I mean, Bloodraven uses a glamour, and is probably communing with the old gods on some level, if not early in life, then definitely later in life. So... They kind of kept it alive, so to speak. And I wonder, too, they, that's something they could bond over. They had similar interests, looking at old prophecies, looking mm-hmm. at old... And they have got a, a king that that sponsors all this, that's into it, that supports it. So it was a good time for them. They probably had access to all kinds of books. They probably had, you know, they could probably call up the... Call up the... <laughs> call up the high power the Citadel. Like, hey, send us that... Uh, send us a copy or
0: Amen's in the citadel at this point, probably.
1: Exactly. So it's just a great, a great time for that. And but on the other hand, it would have been a tumultuous time because the ascension of Ares was right after the the, the massive damage of the Great Spring Sickness. So yeah. there would have been a lot of work to do. Now I'm not sure what Shiera would have been doing. She's not. She wasn't employed. She didn't have any official court capacity as far as like a counselor. And she was kind of young around then, too. So I kind of have this headcanon where she gets to hang out in the library a lot. And Blood Raven's got to go to work. Man, I wish I was in the library hanging out with Shiera working on. <laughs> I got to we got this plague to recover from. I got to burn more bodies and stuff.
0: <laughs> and, you know, it's it's very much uh, you could see it was almost like a magical triad at the top of the Iron Throne at that point. Uh, as you said, Ares is very interested in that Blood Raven as Shira is as well. Like maybe Shira, maybe the reason Ares never, um, got down with his wife and produce any heirs was because maybe he was in love with Shira too. It seems like she had this massive attraction potential to, to men that like a large part of like uh blood Raven and Bitterseer's problems are Shira Star. It is yeah, her. Yeah. She is, he, she is the wedge between them that seems to have broken whatever chance they had of being normal to each other. and. I mean, she's at court most of the time. Maybe she was like a Septon Barth figure. Maybe she was like you said, maybe she's always in the library with Ares and they're reading all the old scrolls. But it's clear that the relationship between her and Bloodraven must have been unusual for him because it's a like to like. There's not many people at the high court like Sea Star or Bloodraven. And they happen to be Targaryen siblings. So it's like, oh, great. It's it's almost like um, maybe they saw it as like this person, Bloodraven probably saw Shira as like, oh, she was put on Earth for me. Like, nobody's going to marry her because she's (laughs) a bastard um, or nobody powerful. Like, nobody's going to arrange marriages for him, especially when he's in charge. And they have all these shared interests. She's absolutely beautiful. She likes him, too. It's like after a life of being the Bloodraven, the the guy that's feared and hated throughout the Seven Kingdoms, it's. Must have been very something for him to finally sa- find somebody that appreciates who he is.
1: That's a good point. Yeah. And I wonder too about whether Daron, what Daron would have thought of, their, of a marriage between them. We're told the Shiera refused him, but I wonder if Daron would have even allowed it because he was against the incest practice. I mean, he was such mm. a foul worshiper of the seven and they're obviously not cool with incest, you know, good on them. <laughs> <laughs> that's one thing in the faith of the seven and I agree on. Yeah. Hmm, that's a good mm. ten they have there. So. Yeah, he's a lonely guy that doesn't have a lot of people that... Well, I wouldn't assume he's lonely, but you could see how he would be because, like you said, there's just so few people out there that he would have as... he could consider a peer. And here comes this woman that has almost everything in common with him. Yeah, it's crazy how... you're right. Like, he could see that as divine in some way, especially if that idea formed when he was very young when we are more prone to fanciful ideas like that. I mean, Shira would have been born when he was about four or five. So you could definitely see where the young, uh, young attitudes could crop into this and how his childhood attitude towards her would carry over into his adult attitude towards her and how that would be
0: very emotional, you know, like yeah. <laughs> very, very deep to his core. Maybe something like little finger feels towards Catelyn Stark. I mean, Ooh, Catelyn, totally yeah.
1: very good. That's really good. But with, a, with obviously a good bit more, um, Actually, so, mutual but attraction. But <laughs> still, ultimately, not all the way, you know?
0: And it's noted that, um, although Bloodraven focused on her, Shiara did not focus on Bloodraven. Uh, <laughs> she she had many admirers, she had many lovers, courtiers chasing her for marriages or to be her their paramours. Bloodraven got the closest, but she never said yes to him. There's actually a really good quote here directly from Gurm, where he says, though she never wed, she had many offers, and several lovers through the years duels were fought over the right to sit beside her Just sit Beside <laughs> her, men killed themselves after falling from her favor poets outdid each other writing songs about her beauty her most ardent admirer was her half-brother blood raven who proposed marriage to her half a hundred times 50 times he said let's get married 50 times she says no <laughs> Shira gave him her bed but never her hand it amused her more to make him jealous That is a a character. The
1: woman that knew how powerful her beauty was and used it.
0: (laughs) I mean, is there anybody that had more power over Bloodraven than she or She-Star? Probably not.
1: Probably not. It Mm -hmm. seems
0: like she had the most powerful man in Westeros wrapped around her finger his entire life, even after she's long gone.
1: Yes, I agree. And it sounds like, yeah, she sounds like she was very formidable, right? (laughs) Like... Cersei, the Cersei of her generation but with a different personality and and magical skills. A lot more talent probably in the uh, on the brain side. Mm-hmm. Seems to and not be genius. a genius, but you know. <laughs> yeah, she seemed to be very smart.
0: <laughs> and this is actually something that came up from our uh, Crusader Kings 2 games because we're playing in the same timeline where um Bloodraven really changes his trajectory if he ends up with Shire or he ends up like sticking with that and I mean, this is the Crusader Kings 2 thing, but in the real timeline, what does happen to Bloodraven? Does he become the last Green Seer? Is he driven to duty as hard if Shiera says yes, if he actually gets her hand in marriage and starts having a family? I think there's a really good chance that never happens, that he never ends up beyond the wall to become this figure.
1: It's a good point, and we, it's, it's a big mystery because Shira... For all we know, she died youngish for all we know. She lived a long life. There's a huge, huge gap in our knowledge of how long her life was. And that makes it hard to guess because like you say, if, if, if she was dead by the time he killed Anis to go, you know, and knew Mm -hmm. he would probably sent to the wall, then that's maybe part of it. In fact, maybe that's why, Yeah, kind of a random guess, but maybe that's around the time she passed or perhaps left Westeros or something like that for Mm -hmm. good. Um, It's hard to say. Like, for example, uh, a a theory I like is that we know Egg sent off for more knowledge about dragons. And if Shiera was still alive, then that's someone he could have sent off to go, hey, you go find out. Yeah. Go to East, go to Ashai, go somewhere. And that's part of where the Shiera is Melisandre's mother theories originated. Mm -hmm. It's a piece of that. Um, Because there's a reason to think she would have could have gone overseas and and explored some of these mysteries more. I'm not actually a big believer in that theory, but I don't think it's uh, I don't rule it out by any means. (laughs) I mean, definitely. mother of Shira being the mother of Melisandre, to be clear,
0: which I'll be talking about in approximately two hours with Radio Westeros as (laughs) Yoko wrote that theory. Yeah, they
1: love that theory. They're they're big proponents of it and there's you'll you'll get the you'll get the nice rundown of of the of the evidence for it and so I'll be the I'll be the other side of it here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the, the throwing the cold water on it. I, I I also just think that in you can see these relationships building between like Daron represents sort of a duty aspect to Blood Raven's life, but Bittersteel and Shire were hugely personal and hugely impactful Particularly the triangle between them, how those interacted and warped him to from being, you know, maybe just a master of whispers into deciding he needs to try and essentially be king of Westeros. He needs to defeat Bittersteel, even if it's to keep him away from getting Shira. I mean it could have been a protection thing at that point where maybe he feared what would happen to her if Bittersteel won.
2: Mm. After
0: all the rejections. Oh, uh, okay. Can make, it, can make it more personal than it, it i think the personal level of blood raven's life is so fascinating and it's one that gets kind of undersold for the magical woo about him Bittersteel was like you've only got one eye to look at her with now Wah-ha-ha. yeah i bet it was i bet he really enjoyed the fact that he made a uh, blood raven uglier basically maybe made to, less attractive
1: had to have affected his archery
0: Um, And so let's move on to the last great bastard. Uh, I ran a poll yesterday talking about the brother he loved versus the brother he hated. The brother he hated was clear. Everyone thinks it's Agor Rivers. Totally makes sense. Um, Their relationship is a blood feud, essentially. 90% Agor, 6% Damon, 4% Daron. Interesting that people thought he hated Daron. But the brother he loved went away that i didn't really expect and it's one of those hard it's one of those ones that you have to think about a little bit like 53 percent say damon is the brother he loved not daron the one he served faithfully three throughout his entire life and i think a lot of it comes down to that damon like you, we were talking about earlier damon was a very decent person he was charismatic. He was kind to people when he didn't have to be, because people in his position sometimes end up like Janie Lannister, yeah. someone that great. And he was he's also everything Blood Raven was not. He is literally his opposite. He is strong. He is um beloved by everybody. He has the classic Targaryen features. Looks like yeah. Aegon the Conqueror. Blood Raven looks like a Weirwood. He's in <laughs> Blackfire by Aegon. He's even Targaryen on both sides. It's like if you want to create somebody that blutter and be jealous of, and that wouldn't look up to look no further than Damon waters.
1: It's so perfect. Yeah. The guy is, is, is like, has all the traits maximized and, and people <laughs> are the one you'd love to follow. It seems like he's just like that has some like he has the, the Roberts battle charisma where everyone is just eager to follow mm. him. And he, he converts people to their side, but with Renly's, uh popularity outside of combat as a as a, someone who just makes everyone feel good about themselves who knows the right thing to say out in public said you know knows how to compliment people knows you know has a winning smile just like just yeah he's just everything got, he's got everything but w- in- included in that everything is the personality that keeps you from hating him because he was a guy that has everything but was a jerk you would hate him more mm-hmm. for having everything because he's using his powers for jerkiness, you know. But this is a guy that, but it's the opposite impact with a guy like Damon, where you're like, this guy could be a huge jerk. <laughs> like it would be so easy for him to look down on everyone, mm-hmm. but he's actually pretty cool. He's he he uses his his powers to lift people up. Now some of this is just us projecting. Like we don't know. This, sure. Damon this nice of the guy, but it's it, it's believable because of how many people willingly followed him and died for him and maybe, maybe some of it was an act, like behind with Renly, using Renly's example, I mean mm-hmm. Renly behind closed doors said ugly things about Brienne that he would never say in public and it gives you pause as to what how much of Renly was an act, you know, shown to the, uh, the public maybe Damon had some of that like fakeness to him so we can go but people who were close to him loved him uh renly is sort of the same case but we don't have a lot of people there weren't a lot of people around renly that knew him well that loved, right like Brienne was in love with him but she did not know him very well loris was also in love with him loris knew him well but loris was Love with him. That's you're not
0: literally in love with him.
1: <laughs> biased in that point, and he's on. Loris is also like sixteen. Fell in love with him when he was probably like thirteen or something. Mm. So it's also boyhood crush stuff. It's not. He's not the best example. The, the most uh, balanced opinion. So these parallels can only be taken so far. But you can see the way you can you can extrapolate a lot based on how people treated him, people who knew him well. You know, I think that says a lot.
0: I think the Brienne Renly. Comparison is maybe right on the nose for the relationship between Bloodraven and Damon, where Renly was very, very kind to Brienne in a way nobody else was. Like she re- she remembers that ball where everybody laughed at her. She remembers how everyone treats her as an outsider, and it's Renly's moment of kindness dancing with her that she holds on to the rest of her life. It could have been yep. something very similar with Damon, where maybe he doesn't like Bloodraven, maybe he thinks he's kind of ridiculous or a bit creepy and evil, but it only takes these small moments of kindness that he doesn't have to give to create long lasting, um, love as blood Raven says he has probably for them. Yeah. He has impression. He has first impression privilege. You could say yeah. that
1: if, as long as he's not a jerk, he's going to leave a great positive impression because of his, his bearing, his personality, all his amazing skills that he's, uh, that he has that somehow doesn't corrupt him into being like a scumbag Um, (laughs) Maybe he was entitled maybe he was talked into rebelling when he shouldn't have that's that's another story we don't know about a lot of missing details from that but yeah it it it, there's a there's a reason why the fandom tends to paint damon blackfire as a decent guy uh and it's a lot based on how the people who knew him seem to so that's 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 a real world thing right like if you don't, we don't know the personality of a lot of these public figures, but if we know what the people close to them, how they get treated, you can, you can extrapolate a lot from that. Like the way people who know the person, uh, really think of that person says a lot.
0: That's true. And, um, Oh God, what was I going to say? Um, <coughs> Ooh, looked up to um presence. Oh, I had a point. What was that point? What was
1: that point? Mm, we need, I have the,
0: Something about, Brienne and about Brian and mm-hmm. Brian. Oh, oh, no! The point was, um, and when your other half brother is bitter steel, like even the small amount of decency that Damon may have showed him may have been much more impactful for him. Mm-hmm. When you have one half brother who absolutely loathes you, makes your life miserable, the other one doesn't even have to be that great to you. Just being a normal person to you is a great gift in a way that Damon may never have realized. Bloodraven felt him about
1: that's a good point yeah by comparison mm-hmm. you know damon may have just been a decent brother but compared to better uh better still he would have been <laughs> yeah <laughs> i really think agor picked on him <laughs> a
0: lot probably beat yeah. the crap out of him probably a similar relationship between like maybe um the mountain and gregor something like that oh yeah
1: I mean, mountain
0: and Sandor. sorry Damon kicking oh, yeah. on himself, punching himself in the face. Didn't, didn't even notice the mistake there. <laughs> uh, uh, and I mean there's similarities in their backgrounds, particularly that Bloodraven and Damon both uh, chase women they cannot have. One once year C Star Damon wants, da- wants Daenerys Targaryen and it's I mean I it's an oversimplified thing much in the same way that Robert's rebellion was about Lyanna Stark, Damon's rebellion was not about Daenerys. But it was something. It meant something to him that he, that Daeron essentially sold Daenerys to the Dornish to bring them into the Seven Kingdoms. That it was a business exchange. He, yeah. it, from the stories, he took that personally, and that rejection is probably something that him and Bloodraven could bond over. When he talked, like Damon starts talking about Daenerys, Bloodraven could start talking about Shiera and how she won't have him. Damon can't go down and get Daenerys. She won't leave her husband. There's there's at least a point of comparison between two guys that seem totally opposite.
1: That's a good point. Yeah, having, you know, loving and having a, a love not be possible because mm-hmm. of politics and other circumstances and and yeah, and Damon may have been on the younger side when this decision with Doran was made. Of course it had been made long before even. It was just yeah. being up on the the <laughs> you know, game of age You're like okay, you guys are old enough to get married now. Go ahead. And yeah, that's a really interesting. And another missing piece here that's really big, we, ta- we we touched on it at the beginning, but we haven't necessarily applied it to Damon yet. We talked about Blood Raven's mother, and we talked a little bit about Bittersteel's mother, who was a crazy, scheming, bitter <laughs> person. We can see where he gets it from. Well, Damon's mother, Dana the Defiant, she, like Shiera Seastar, there's a huge, wide open gap as to how long she may or may not have lived. Like, for all we mm. know, she died. Before the first Blackfire Rebellion, for all we know, she outlived Damon by 20 years. We have no idea. And she seemed like a really interesting person, and her influence may have been big on Damon, or lack of influence may have been big on him. <laughs> lack of a mother, yeah, is a big deal too, right? I mean, lack of a father is a big deal, but especially lack of a mother. So this is a big wild card for both of them. I mean, for all we know. Bloodraven had a relationship with Dana the Defiant. Maybe, maybe he, you know, maybe they had, not like a relationship relationship, like a loving Friendship relationship. Maybe. Yeah, but yeah, exactly. Something like that. They could have gotten along. They could have had some things in common. Who knows? It's, it's one of the difficult things about this time period is there are so many interesting characters at court at the same time, and the way they interacted with each other, some of these one-on-one relationships, we have no information on whatsoever. This is a good one, like Dana mm-hmm. and Dick. Dan- Brendan. We have no clue how this, this, these figures interacted. Or really, with Damon, which was just about anyone. We have no idea how she <laughs> interacted with, except maybe Aegon the Unworthy himself, and that only when they were young. So,
0: any relationship <laughs> with Aegon would have been terrible. Fire and Blood Part Two, give us this information. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> Can't wait. Um, and then we get to, th- this was probably their young life, but then we get to obviously Damon's rebellion and. The, ima- the immense amount of pressure that must have been on Bloodraven, as he is seeing his siblings gearing up for war. We learn from the text that Bloodraven found out about his da- his rebellion ahead of time. So Bloodraven has this information. He knows Damon and Bittersteel are going are going to crown Damon and challenge Daron. What does he do with it? Like how do- how do you make that choice personally? You hate Bittersteel. But supposedly you love Damon, you have this ima- immense amount of respect and sense of duty towards Daron and the Iron Throne. Shira, if you, like I said, with Shira, maybe if even is killed, Bearshield takes her hostage. You never know. He's that kind of a dick. He could do that. And Bloodraven has to make this intensely personal choice on his values about, does he drop the dime on Damon now that he knows it? He knows it a month ahead of time. That's enough time. If he wants to, just hold on to it. Let Damon start his war, and Damon's off to a great start. But he goes the other way. Hmm. Interesting to think about why he made that decision.
1: Yeah, it's really peculiar. I mean, this is, in fact, why, this is the point of my shirt, in hmm. fact, Pat's idea was that there was no plot for Damon to crown himself. That Damon wasn't going to crown himself. Better, it was, it was something that was made up to get rid of him. And mm. so he was like, Well, now I have to do it. I have to crown myself because <laughs> otherwise I'm gonna die. It's it's kind of like Aegon the second and Kristen Cole, where Kristen Aegon the second is like, no, I'm not gonna steal my sister's crown. And Aegon and Allison are like, or Kristen Cole and Alison are like, Yeah, but once she's queen, they're gonna kill you. It's not just stealing your crown, the crown, it's keeping yourself alive. And this is harder to believe in this case. Cause the idea that Daron would have Damon executed is,
0: yeah, that's kind of hard to believe. I yeah. mean, even for I don't reason. see that. Like Daron put so much work into building that relationship with Damon. I mean, he landed him, built him a castle, gave, made him a Lord in his own right. None of the great bastards got that. Like Daron was dedicated to making sure Damon did not rebel. Yeah.
1: So you could have a case where it's like a Melisandre situation where, if Bloodraven is using magic early in his career and he he gets he sees prophecies or sees mm-hmm. the future, he misinterprets it, and he thinks Damon Blackfire has got to be killed or else all this stuff happens, and maybe it's a case of, I mean this is somewhat tinfoily, but maybe the this started at all if if Bloodraven trying to kill Damon to stop. A future of black rebellions actually is what created it. it's like self fulfilling Oh,
0: product. yeah we haven't talked about prophecy a lot but that is that has to be a major part of his life we know he's a Green seer. um maybe as dragon dreams too imagine how, what a nightmare that would be for blood raven if he has both going on in his head i mean yeah if they're if they're not, if they're not the same thing but
1: yeah it, 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 it's, it's hard it's, not to think that especially with the comparisons with Stannis and Melisandre because we have Megar mm-hmm. in Bloodraven for his second half of, of Bloodraven's career as Hand of the King. It's as the 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 voice on the king's right shoulder whispering in his ear, which is so comparing Melisandre to Bloodraven is super easy because they have so much in common. When you like physical traits and mm-hmm. uh, relationship traits they have in common, let alone the possibility that you know Melisandre's his son or something or daughter or something like that. <laughs> mm. So there's just a lot of potential there. And it's compelling to think about, yeah, this is maybe blood raven. What did he see? What did he see in what the did future? He know? Did he mess it up? Did he go the wrong way? Did he misinterpret some of it? Cause we, that's obviously a recurring theme among <laughs> us fire, people misinterpreting prophecies. And,
0: and this in himself. This, yeah. We know he gets it wrong sometimes. Yeah. And this would fit super well because he would have been
1: young. This is like when mistakes so he doesn't yet have the wisdom of not realizing, oops, like, oh, well, now I know that prophecy <laughs> real bad if you get this wrong and you got to be real sure. And because he knows <laughs> he's like, I have screwed this up before.
0: And even like, let's say he does use his abilities. Let's say he he uh, skin changes into a raven and it's in there and you hear Damon and Beersteel talking like you should crown yourself and it will start in a month. Well, until he crowns himself, he has not actually done it. There is still a way back like Bloodraven yeah. could have gone to Damon and said, I found out about this, like, don't do this, convince him like there's a lot of there's a lot of time in between the crowning and when Bloodraven apparently tells Darren it's happening where it doesn't have to go to war. Mm-hmm. And it seems like Bloodraven particularly gave the information out in a way that ensured that it had to. Rather
1: makes, than being a that- peacekeeper. Yeah. Just making sure it gets out. There's then there's forcing
0: the issue basically saying, yeah. look, this is going to happen one way or another. We're going to bring this to a head. Which must have really hurt him personally. If this is the brother he loves, like how bad must it have been? What would he have to know about Damon, either prophecy wise, personal wise, what he fears about the realm that he is willing to betray Damon? It's like John turning on Rob. How, it's- how, how could this happen? You got which is why
1: we think big here, which is why we're like, well, maybe he saw some awful future for the realm. If he doesn't do this, if you're right, it has to be something pretty big for him to turn against someone he loved. And that is, that does fit. If he thinks that, well, if I don't act, then the end of the world, whatever, something awful, or the realm will be gutted at a time when it needs to be strong because of some great evil coming who, who knows what he saw but we know he has the capability to see these things mm-hmm. and it could also explain one of the things that why he's so dead set on saving the realm now is
0: if he this was a mistake
1: if it was a mistake that he's atoning for or if he's I just kind of always had this person it's always he's always taken this responsibility but i i think it's a little more compelling with what you said that is if he's atoning he's like ah i i I'm a reason why things are bad right now, and I can help that. I have the ability to undo the harm and to help humanity survive this crisis, etc. I can see that fitting very, very well.
0: Especially because we know when we see other Dragon Dreamers, you know, Daron the Drunkard, another Daron, he tries to avoid the, the Ashford tourney because he thinks a dragon will die there. And he thinks, if I just stay in this inn, nothing will happen. But it's actually Daron's actions that make Baylor die. It would be perfectly in sync with George's understanding of prophecy and people that see it that avoiding it makes it happen. If he thinks Blackfires and the Civil War will cause something awful, trying to avert it ahead of time makes it happen.
1: I agree. It's so he, he uses this device a lot. It's it's so it's it's no surprise that we lean that way. And and it's not like he uses a lot of other devices with prophecy right like <laughs> the recurring use of prophecy in a song of ice and fire is mostly um leads to tragedy right <laughs> i mean it's when has following like give me an example in a song of ice and fire of people following prophecy and it going really well for them maybe they avoid things being worse But like, it's never like, good thing we listened to that prophecy. We're sitting pretty now.
0: (laughs) And I mean, even in the modern sense, Daenerys keeps trying to figure out the undying's prophecy. And that probably makes her mistrust people. She probably shouldn't because she thinks they will betray her. Therefore, the mistrust creates the relationship. It's like, ah, George, you bastard.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
0: (laughs) And then we have someone like Bran who's just,
1: not, it's not necessarily prophecy with him, but he keeps getting told what, what's possible and seeing that, well, those people are wrong. I can do things that they mm-hmm. said were impossible. Like, so why, why should I listen to them? <laughs> <So>, uh oh, <uh-oh. laughs> that's not great.
0: <laughs> that's true. And then, um, just to get back to Damon, I think Redgrass Field must have been the turning point in Blood Raven's life, maybe the most important moment in his life, the one he looks back on the most. Um, we know. Uh, fireball got killed before the battle by a stray arrow. You can almost certainly say that's Blood Raven's doing. Him and the Raven's teeth probably assassinated him because he was such a great commander to that's give themselves well. a better chance. But then. he re- shot first. That's yeah. the point. Yeah. He, he definitely <laughs> shot first. But then we have that you have this idea of what Blood Raven thinks of Damon because he absolutely refuses to face him in the field of battle, whereas he does face Bittersteel. Instead, Blood Raven goes up on a ridge with the Raven's teeth and shoots down Damon and his two sons, Aemon and Aegon, when they attempt to take a Blackfire and guard his body. This is how much he fears Damon Blackfire. He is unwilling to get within 100 yards of the guy in a battlefield.
1: Yeah, I mean, he basically, his plan was to, well, it was a battlefield assassination, I think.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: uh, And it's one thing that's a small detail here that might need uh, fleshing out is people call him a Kinslayer for this, but there's no proof that he's the actual killer. I mean, he's got there with 300 of other dudes with bows and who knows what arrows actually killed <laughs> Damon and his sons. Mm-hmm. But of course it was his orders. You can calling him a Kinslayer via, you know, ordering the death of this man. I think is still counts, whatever. I don't know what the rules are. We have mm-hmm. to have an old God's court for that. Like, <laughs> what's, what's we need, the, um,
0: clear? Clinton, May- Mar- Maester Mary for this one.
1: Yeah, we do. This is definitely a learn, learn hands question. So, um, but regardless, it's the, it, your point is stands, whatever these, whatever way it work out, he had a plan to, no, we're not going to win this battle honorably. We're going to kill the reason this war is happening. It's kind of like Mormont's plan, even slint's plan to deal with the free folks, it's like kill man's raider. And the whole thing falls apart Yeah, Just quite simply. Cause those kids, Mance's kids, not going to keep this thing going, ditto. <laughs> Blood, uh, Damon's kids, they were too young. Of course, they didn't. They didn't Nobody rend- counts on Bittersteel. Right. They didn't, they, yeah, they didn't reckon for Bittersteel keeping it going, but, uh, it was a, you know, it's a ruthless, uh, dishonorable plan, but a good one as far as like keeping the the body count low. It just mm-hmm. didn't work as a Bittersteel, but hey,
0: that was hard to see coming. Still a good plan. And it also, um, it goes to kind of what Blood Raven is thinking about in this moment where how much how much did it hurt him personally to actually knock his arrows and throw them against Damon like this whole time the brother he loves the one that he probably looks up to the only one that's been good to him he's having to sit there like agonizing inside that I have to kill him and how do I actually get myself to this place well it helps that he has 300 raven's teeth with him but he still has to order them he still has to shoot those arrows this must have been maybe as heartbreaking for him as maybe the last time he saw Shiera. And
1: this is where we come back to Jon Snow, because Jon Snow may have a rather difficult decision to make with a certain person he loves that he may think he has to kill because what the future will mean without if she's alive. So yeah,
0: I mean, it's a different kind of love to be sure, but well, maybe a different kind of love. Wink, wink.
1: (laughs) Yeah, maybe you're right. (laughs) But also, that type of love does exist in this character because of Sheer. We know that that aspect of him is fleshed out. Mm-hmm. Doesn't well, heart? The elements are there. Yeah, he's, yeah, exactly. Yeah, simple as that, basically. And that is really, really conflicting, a really difficult thing to consider. And, you know, he's not a monster. He may be ruthless, but... Like you said, it couldn't have just been oh well. Time to kill some nephews. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, I got to I got to kill some blackfires. No big deal, guys. Let's knock up the bows. No, th- this this was this must have been really hard for him. And the point at which he felt there was no turning back. At this point, he is committed to Daron the Targaryens, to duty. There's no going back on the uh, Aemon's choice narrative. He has chosen duty.
1: Yeah, and this is where you can see more echoes of Renly, right? We have. Mm-hmm. Renly and the eve of battle. It's instead of during battle, he's killed amidst his army when it looks pretty good for him, because uh, it looked like you know at the time the battle was going pretty well until he died. And uh, that also that makes Bittersteel a little bit of um gives a little bit of a Loras parallel there, where Loris goes mad and carries you know grabs Renly's body and and mm-hmm. runs off. Carry you know keeps the, the oh dream yeah away. that's a really good point. Um, I'm not sure that Bittersteel was had romantic feelings for
0: Damon, but maybe you never know. Yeah. He was so I, handsome.
1: I did ask George R. Martin directly if Bittersteel had kids with Cala Blackfire, which is Damon's eldest daughter who he married. George mm-hmm. said, "Don't think so. No."
0: Interesting. <laughs>
1: hmm. So hmm, indeed, yeah. And John Connington, who we said is a
0: parallel. Hmm. He was obviously in love with Rhaegar. He's you know. Silver Prince. Wasn't yeah, wasn't Damon uh, called that? Was he called the Silver Prince too? Uh, I wouldn't be
1: surprised if someone called him that. I can't think of it specifically happening. But i, There's I somebody be else Rhaegar. that's called
0: that within the Targaryen lineage. It's not just Rhaegar.
1: Yeah. It um, may have been one of
0: Jaharis' kids. I may be making that up.
1: I, I i I can I can it seems like it would fit amongst the Targaryens here yeah. and there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and you know, I, I think once we tie these all together, it's it's not just that the great bastards and Daron are just people, blood and bouncing off of these are his family. These are his family in the same way. John feels that Arya is his family, the same way that Theon fits into that family unit. Like these are all very important to him and that they are breaking up that he's forced to kill some of them that some of them hate him. It's not just high politics. It's intensely personal and it shapes who he becomes. Yeah.
1: Oh, hey, by the way, it looks like Delena in the chat says you're the silver prince.
0: Oh, well, <laughs> well, I'd rather be the brown prince, I guess. I don't like <laughs> the brown dragon. <laughs> I liked it when my hair was brown, not silver. Um, so I think what we're going to do here, we have a couple more sections, but I think it's we'll just switch to questions. We only have about a half hour left. We have some yeah. taken from uh, I took from Twitter and YouTube and Patreon. Um, you guys in the chat. Um, start throwing out, uh, questions you want at us. If there's anything that you definitely want us to get to, you throw out a super chat and we will answer it. Um, so I think the the first one here was from, uh, Mary Ann, one of my patrons. She says, I'm just going to give you guys a warning. Most of them are based on around magic. Uh, I chose to put the stream on more on blood raven as a personality. Obviously everyone loves blood raven as magic. So we'll be probably talking about that a lot this last half hour. Um, So it says, do you think Bloodraven is controlling or even influence the Weirwood network or does it control him? Does he have all the information all the time, change him from the manipulator he was into a better man, a worse man or no one at all? It's sort of how much is he merging with the Weirwood net at this point? What do you think, Aziz?
1: Well, I think he's definitely a better man because he's less of a man. Uh, In in terms of what his goal is now, if his goal is to save humanity, which I do believe, I don't think, I'm not a believer in the tinfoil, he's actually a bad guy, stuff, given how he lived his life so much for the realm. Um, I think that's still what he's doing now. So, he's no longer as bound by his human frailties. He's no longer bitter over bitter steel, or he probably feels a lot less pain and sorrow over Shiera but he might still have this goal of of atoning for things during his life, maybe. Mm-hmm. But even that might be just kind of fallen by the wayside as the longer he's been in the tree. I mean, he's been in the tree for 30-plus years by the time Bran gets to him. He's been so in that the tree could, a long time. <laughs> a long time for his humanity to fade somewhat and to be more focused on his task. Not that that's definitely what happened, but let's. but that's also... A little aside from the question which is does it control him or does he control it i think that it's a little of both i think mm-hmm. it's it's presented as a collective which the term control maybe isn't the best fit for a collective in the first place but if you're coming part of a collective then you can arguably say that it's controlling him even though he's a part of it too mm-hmm. um but it's not like an, a dictatorship or something <laughs> where there's one one greenseer within the network that's been there thousands of years that dominates all the other personalities in there. So I don't know. It's hard. It's really hard to conceptualize that way, especially with the magic. But I, I think there, there's some theories out there that the Targaryen blood in him is, is a poison to the Werewood network or mm-hmm. it's an weird impact or, or an element that they're not used to. I find that interesting. Although I don't want to go too far with that because yeah. <laughs> not necessarily anything at all it might matter but it's not exactly something we have a lot of evidence for one way or another it's just a cool idea Uh, so I think that he's learned a lot from it I think it's the power of his knowledge and what he can see into the past is really would likely have changed him something you brought up at the beginning is Mm -hmm. is, did he replay these moments Does he go back and look at Shiera through the whereward net like like Bran is looking at his father and all Mm -hmm. that I think that's likely something he did early on 30 years later I'm not so sure he's still doing that but who knows
0: i think it would be be the first thing most of us would do would be replay your life for quite a bit and especially like we were talking about if damon was his fault like (laughs) reflecting on all these things seeing where he went wrong seeing how he caused the very problems that he was trying to solve must have been very humbling for him especially knowing that the old gods were watching the old time going "Mm, brendan you're messing up my dude um as in terms of how much they're controlling him, um, it doesn't s- he still seems to be himself most of the time. I mean he even s- he even is self-reflective, but uh, I think the relationship that the show portrays where the 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 last green seer, which is what Bloodraven is called by the children versus what it is in the show, I think is different. Where in the show it made it seem like the last green seer was the entire network. We at least in the books we know there's other green seers linked up we know there's the ghost of high heart so maybe he's the most influential living part of the weirwood network but i don't think he's all of it and he definitely seems to he is much more a person than brand was in season eight i would say
1: yeah yeah
0: there's there's personality there
1: super chat just came up. oh yeah
0: aaron m uh Thank you very much with her classic 1999 because YouTube is weird and doesn't allow you to round up the 20 bucks. I don't quite understand it. Uh, She says, so pumped for the quarantine stream after two week absence. Thank you both. Yeah, I had to work last weekend. That was kind of a bummer. Mm. Um, Do you think it's possible that Shira wouldn't have Blood Raven because she knew what he was destined to do and felt it was her duty to reject him? Very interesting. We do have that direct quote from George that she did definitely enjoy having power over him, that there was a teasing element that she enjoyed having him essentially on a string, but that d- that doesn't mean the other isn't true, especially if she is connected to this magical world as Bloodraven is, you know, there could be two people looking at the same event and seeing it differently. Hmm. Yeah, that's a great
1: question. I never thought about it. I've, I've tried to think about a lot of things from Shira's perspective, but I never thought about the her seeing his future. That's one that hmm. uh, I over. So that is pretty neat. Um, because wow, what his future would look bizarre to a person who's living mean, it just does not look like a normal person future. Be like, boy, this is this is long, man. What, <laughs> <laughs> wait,
0: how long does he live? What does he look like now? He's wait, he's dead, but he's alive. Like, I just look at the I just look into your future and I just see a tree. What's the- <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what if she saw what Melisandre sees? What if she sees Blood Raven and Bran that, that, that ancient wooden face with a thousand eyes? Imagine how terrifying that would be. That was like, that's true. That's the guy be- I'm in love with? That guy? Oof. <laughs> I don't know if in love, but... Um, oh, another uh, super chat here from D-Cell. Um, five euros, I think. I think that's what that means. Thank you very much. Um, do you like the theory about raving being Craster's father? No. I do not like that theory. I don't think it makes a lot of sense. Um, there's clearly c- raving throughout his life. Even though it's actually kind of funny when he's Maynard Plum, he seems to be uh, kind of horny on main. He actually he asks about like um Duncan's sex life and implies that he should go get laid quite a lot. So th- this is he's obviously a sexual being himself, but his heart seems to have belonged to Shiera. And I would be surprised if after she's gone or after he's on the wall, that he would he would probably see that as betraying her memory, much in the same way John feels about Egret.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think. Uh, I mean, the ages work out okay for that, so it's it's possible. But yeah, it doesn't seem like the type. And Bloodraven didn't father children elsewhere, so that we know of. Yeah, we know of. So, um, yeah, I kind of I'm a little dubious of that as well.
0: There's there's clearly so much love that he felt for her that if he did, it would take a remarkable woman, I would say.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Which and like- also physically craster is a big guy you know like they don't have they don't yeah. have like the look doesn't that part doesn't argue for it either
0: um oh another super chat they are coming in fast and furious i swear i'll get back to the ones in the chat and the ones i have in the dock. um mm-hmm. uh, here be dragon steven stark thank you very much uh five dollars he says do you think we'll see dark sister aziz i think you have a unique perspective on this
1: Well, earlier I brought up a question I asked George about Bittersteel. In the same session, Ashaya asked a question that got a much more important and direct answer. Which (laughs) was, She asked him, and we have a recording of this, so we have proof. (laughs) She said, did Bloodraven take Dark Sister to the wall? And George said, yes. It was a very clear yes. There was no beating around the bush. He said, yes. So, Bloodraven did take Dark Sister to the wall, which means (laughs) most certainly had it when he was lost beyond the wall, which means it's probably in that cave, which means Mira or Hodor or Bran or whatever. One of those people can find it and repurpose it like, well, you don't need this anymore, do you, Bloodraven? Like, yeah, just take it. Sure, go ahead.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Or on their way out, they're just grabbing whatever's there. It's like, oh my God, there's a sword. Hodor, grab it. Mira, grab it. Whatever.
1: Yeah, and the fact that he answered the question directly and relatively quickly indicates he's thought about it. It wasn't like... Sometimes he says, well, when he's at still, he says, I'm not. She's like, I'm pretty sure no. He didn't <laughs> get a great answer because he probably hasn't fully thought about it. He might decide maybe it would make sense for bitterstill to have had a child. But this one he's uh, had already thought about and made a decision for. So that tells us he's decided at least something about the future of this sword. It's he's decided it's going to matter at least a little bit that it's probably going to be found. So I'm excited about that because. I'm personally a believer in Arya getting it eventually. Mm. Um, I mean, there's a lot of little clues that it would fit her so nicely. She loves but Visenya. That's a whole other question. Yeah, she loves Visenya. She's Dark Sister. I mean, that kind of... literally on. the Dark Sister, yeah. <laughs> it's a sword that's kind of similar to Needle in its size. I mean, it's a little bigger, but you know, Cat's Dagger is not as much a thing in the books as the show, no. and she show so maybe they
0: could have have done it but i guess they um they didn't want to retcon that in or didn't put didn't put the layering for dark sister being a thing so i can understand why you wouldn't if he even ends up in argus hands yeah Uh, i think it will be one of those things that's just like a really cool easter egg like nobody's gonna recognize it nobody's gonna look at and go dark sister the sword of the targaryens like that's not gonna happen
1: but it will help establish his identity a little more yeah and it will um to, to make it clear who he is, because a lot of like casual readers don't know who he is still, unless you've <laughs> done forums and podcasts and stuff. So it's really going to make his identity more clear and like to, to directly uh, to be more direct with Steven's question. There's more and more talk of Valyrian steel and how the others are going to be fought. And sure, why, we need you know, more swords that can be used mm-hmm. against the other. That makes sense uh, to have more of that in play.
0: Maybe his last act will be pointing it out, like, by the way, take that sword. Yeah, it's like, on your way out, you might want that. <laughs> that thing's important. Take it with you. Good luck. I'm about yeah. to die. Hold the door. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Classic Blood Raven. Uh, question here from Scott McCloy. He says, What do you think Blood Raven will do in the She Wolves of Winterfell? Uh, this is a really interesting uh, thing because Dunkin' Egg is not over. George, as far as he's concerned, wants to take it all the way up to Summer Hall. And the next one, supposedly coming out, will be the She-wolves of Winterfell, where Dunk and Egg end up in Winterfell on their way to the wall where Dunk wants to find his father. I don't know why he thinks he's there. Dunk thinks he is. And there's going to be a power struggle with all these different stark um, women and um, widows. I What is Blood Raven's role in that? There's a quote from him when he's Maynard Plum, where he says... Where he's like, I'm not going north. It's too cold up there. <laughs> but there's a weirwood there. There is, there is. Bloodraven has the ability to be anywhere. So could he be involved with it? That would be interesting. Especially if maybe that's the reason we see what most people think is Dunk and Old Nan kissing. Maybe the reason Bl- uh, Bran has a vision of it is because Bloodraven was watching at the moment. He's like, that's what created the memory. That would be kind of funny.
1: Uh, that would be kind of funny. Um, one thing we've learned is, and this isn't this isn't great news in terms of that story, is that he's George has actually bumped She Wolves. Yeah, other one in between it. Oh, that's but right. Sorry. The good news is that's probably going to involve uh, more about Bloodraven because it's got it's it's there's a very good chance this is when we get Egg meeting Bethsa, Betha Betha Blackwood. Mm. So Blackwood. There's a very good chance for Bloodraven or Mel and or Melissa to be involved. So that's. Very compelling, and potentially Aemon, uh, Maester Eamon as well. I saw someone asking in the chat about Maester Eamon, and that's an important thing, because Maester Eamon and Bloodraven were on the wall at the same time for quite a while. In fact, they went at the same time! They were on the same ship! <laughs> so. there,
0: yeah, there, I mean, there's good reason to think, much in the same way that Shear and Bloodraven had huge overlaps in interest, so does Eamon. He has all the same things as Shear does, and I would not be surprised if they were essentially friends. And all of these things are kind of coming at the same time. All these things are floating around Winterfell, which you don't really expect for Targaryens. But if Bloodraven is the student of prophecy that we know he is, and he's seeing things far in the future, you know, maybe he sees this as like a Jon Snow sort of thing. Like, what if he starts seeing these interactions between Dunk and Egg and wondering if this is the future that ends up being Jon, that kind of thing.
1: Absolutely. And you can draw a straight line from Maester Eamon talking to Rhaegar about the prince that was promised and all that and say, well, where did Maester Eamon get some of these ideas? And some of them he may have gotten on his own, but some of them he probably got from the dude he was on the wall with. Yeah. The guy Maester, while Bloodraven's Lord Commander. I mean, they clearly worked together. They could mm. not have avoided each other. It's impossible. So. What a lot of what Maester Aemon learned could have come from Bloodraven and gone to Rhaegar via Maester Aemon, and then to back around to Jon. So yeah, like this is a really tight little circle of characters with similar beliefs or
0: connections that the line is clear where they, where and how they connect. So, and then you, I mean, not only just those two, you also have King Aerys, you also have Darren the Drunkard, who is actually having these visions. Like there's this whole through line that goes from the children of Makar directly to Rhaegar, directly to Jon. They are connected somehow.
1: Yeah, and I love your makes sense. Oh. about um, that the prior Targaryens were who were dreaming of dragons mm. were seeing Daenerys and thinking it was themselves. So if we take that idea, I mean, it fits super well because someone like Ares who's like mixing things with wildfire and and, and all these other guys who were immolating them, thinking that self-immolation would somehow be a good re- good idea. <laughs> it's like, if they yeah. were interested, it, it, you can see, well, I can see why that would make sense then. Now, so what is Raven seeing in the future about some of these characters? Is he seeing the future of Jon? Is he seeing the future of Maester Eamon? Is he seeing any of that? Or... And is he getting it wrong? Is he making mistakes like Melisandre or anything Everybody
0: like that? Everybody
1: does. <laughs> yeah. which is a pro- That's a probably yes. It's a matter of which mistakes, not did he.
0: <laughs> and how bad.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I love that idea because the, the mistakes of prophecy are a huge part of the series. And all of this comes back to the wall. Melisandre on the wall talking to John and making, telling him things. is just sounds like Bloodraven and Maester Aemon. <laughs> like a very similar situation where one of them's telling the other all this magic stuff and they're neither of them is quite sure if it's accurate or not and but they know that some of it's got to be real because damn if the others aren't real and damn if melisandre doesn't have real powers, so like this you can't just you certainly can't just dismiss it even if they've got some details wrong well damn
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah for sure uh that video by the way is called um Oh, I changed the name. the The title card says "Pyres and Blood," but I think I made it. What is the what? Ma- what is the secret behind Targaryen madness? I'm gonna look oh. this up. I should know the names I- of my own videos, probably. <laughs> um, it's called "What Causes Targaryen Quote Unquote Madness: Pyres and Blood." Uh, I'll put a link afterwards if you guys are watching this back. Um, I, you were on stream for the one before that the one talking about amen but yeah d- very similar ideas they those two videos work together the oh, same wow. idea uh drawing the comparison between them um let's grab one right here from twitter just because. oh no this wasn't from twitter um this was from the youtube comments uh jan wouter says it seems brendan doesn't know who the three-eyed raven is so who is he how is he related to brendan this is one of those uh theories that has been kicking around that I don't like because I think there's a very simple explanation, but it's we, you talked about it earlier, how a lot of people are, there is the segment of the fandom that is unsure if the three eyed crow that brand meets is Brandon rivers, even though it definitely seems like it is. And the explanation I've come up with that I think this makes it so simple is that the three eyed crow is a name that brand made up. It's a, it's a name that him and Jojen called whatever they were seeing blood Raven as. And then when they get there. They essentially go, "Oh, you're the fear-eyed Raven." And Brother Raven goes, "What?"
1: <laughs> because yeah. everyone's
0: been calling me the Last Green Seer. Everyone's been calling me like all these other names. I've never heard that one. But yeah, that's me. I was the one appearing to you, and then and then Bran eventually goes, "Like, oh yeah, it is him." It's just it was disappointing to see this weird corpse guy when I was expecting basically Gandalf.
1: Yeah, and it's there's another exact parallel here, which is Cold Hands. Cold Hands' name is not Cold Hands. No. They just what do we call that guy? well, his hands are cold. Let's call him cold hands. So it's j- exactly what you said. They didn't have a name for him. So they they just wanted to call him something. They didn't want to just keep calling him that guy in my dream that or that crow thing that bird in my dream. So nor do they want to call him the undead ranger or whatever. So they just made up a name for him. Yeah. So I think it's, I agree with you. It's just as simple as that. And he, and he doesn't even say in the appendix, the three eyed raven is it, Brendan Rivers.
0: It is him. It It's the theory should die, but I understand people like Love the idea. The show actually played this up that there's a difference between a three-eyed crow as this like immortal figure in charge of the Weirwood net, and then there's also the last green seer, and they are separate. There is some truth to that, but I don't think that's what this means. It's yeah. just that George writing backwards. Like, cause he he didn't know that Blood Raven was a Blackwood back when he made this character up. So it's one of those things where you can see. The, the lines of creation and his gardening style kind of fraying. It, the, yeah. the, the images don't match up exactly because it wasn't him at first. Now yeah. it is. It was a dark, he, he had the Targaryen stuff, but
1: I don't think he had the Blackwood. You're right. He, didn't, he hadn't decided to make him a figure of mixed ice and fire heritage, I think, at that point. And, I mean, there is one, you know, there is that moment that the, the raven bringing the news of Ned's death comes in mm-hmm. and it's literally a bloody raven. <laughs> because mm-hmm. it was like attacked by a hawk and it was missing some feathers and it's like is this meant to be a reference to Blood Raven <laughs> or did George back on that moment and say I put a bloody raven in this scene so why not use that name yeah it, 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 maybe the raven came before the name blood raven because he's like well what did I what have I associated with this character so far and let's build on that like you said it's a gardening thing right mm-hmm. uh, love that yeah, and, and by the way sometimes it's imagine. seamless sometimes it's not yeah exactly you're right uh sometimes it fits better than others uh, we should mention since i brought up cold hands that i i think cold hands is one of the raven's teeth which is you know fitting for why he's still loyal to blood raven in death and, and why he's blood raven vanished on arranging and he would have had you'd, you'd think the men he'd take with him would be the guys that were most loyal to him you know he's going out in the wilderness when mm-hmm. probably a faction of the wall wants him dead sure you know? like john <laughs>
0: <laughs> probably <laughs> unhappy with them uh let's let's grab a couple more from the chat because i gotta get going soon um obviously way more it's t- we we've literally not gotten to blood raven going to the wall in this conversation we have stopped at the end of the black fire rebellions there's this whole other part whose character we're kind of yeah. touching on but not really going in depth on um this is why there is so much content on this character. You this is why it. history of Westeros has seven hours of content on the character.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like we missed stuff. I mean, there's things I brought up in this one that I don't think I brought up in any of those seven hours. So,
0: um, okay. So, oh, this is, this is actually, uh, a good question. Uh, same from the same, um, wait. Oh no, I like this one better from Cali Kesh uh, from YouTube says, do you think, he sent the boar to kill King Robert. King Robert is quoted saying something like the gods sent him when the batter bastard got me. There's also noted that the boar has one red eye or something like that. Like, do you, this is one of those questions that gets towards like, I I think it's like, it has like one eye or something like that. It's, it's there's, there's some clues behind it, but this sort of gets at the idea of how much is blood Raven still involved with day-to-day politics in Westeros. Do you think Maybe he had a hand in deposing King Robert because he wants to make Jon Snow and Daenerys happen. Like how far is plans going? He's clearly sending probably sending the wolves to Bran, so he's having some hand in it, but like how far do you think he's going?
1: I think that uh, I, I I downplay some of it, but there's a lot. There's got to be a few things that were that are in play. For example, I think he quite clearly didn't interfere at the fist of the first men. <laughs> he could have yeah. Maybe he done something. Maybe he sent cold hands to bury the cash nearby, uh, but that was more of a thing for later rather than a thing to help them during the fist. Because the cash was wouldn't have been very helpful during that battle. Because they needed the cash is more useful against the others than mm. we don't even know how effective Dragon is against whites in in the books. We certainly saw it be effective in the show, but that's not. We haven't. We have no example in the sh- in the books because the one time Sam tries to use his dragon glass on a white, it's small armor blocks it, so it's not a, a conclusive test. Anyway, um, I do think that he has manipulated some events, like the direwolves, for sure. Mm-hmm. And there's so many times where Mormont's ravens talks in a certain way, and there's another time that I'm very sure of, which is three times Sam uh, runs away. Um, beyond the wall, one he just sits down on the ground, and Small Paul picks him up and carries him away. Another time, he sits down <clears throat> at Craster's, and his friends slap him and are like, "We gotta go, we gotta go." And there's no Small Paul to carry him this time, so they just have to go. There's no choice; they can't they can't carry him, and so they leave him. And the third time is when Small Paul attacks um, him and Gilly, and he's before uh, they're coming. There's a bunch of whites, and a raven lands on Sam's shoulder and says. Run, yeah, <laughs> Run. Run. <laughs> I'm like, okay, that's Blood Raven. That's definitely Blood Raven. <laughs> that's the um, almost ish, the only other one that I'm 100% sure about. Well, maybe there's another one, but the, the election John's
0: election is mm, like that like, one is seems Blood Raven esque. There's a chance that's
1: Mormont himself, but I, yeah, I think it's Blood Raven because Mormont's Raven was saying all sorts of stuff before Mormont died too. So, you know, <laughs> I feel like that was already happening. So I, I, you gotta—it's fair to consider a lot of political events as maybe being influenced by Bloodraven, but I, you gotta take it with a grain of salt because it can get to be too much. And I don't see the immediate value of Robert's death because then it just the Lannisters just take over. And is it is it really Bloodraven killed Robert just so the Lannisters could take over? So that could lead to. <laughs> so that could lead to this and that. I don't know. It seems like he could have manipulated events a little more directly than this. This this thing that leads to this thing that leads to this that leads to this that maybe is part of his plan. That but Daenerys what is that probably, plan anyway. Is Daenerys even going to take the Iron Throne? I don't. You know, is she going to pause to go north and then never get it? i like to show. Uh, <sighs> so, yeah, I'm. I, I'm on the keep it to a minimum, but mm. it's definitely. Side of things, keep keep an open mind with with any of the examples that people try to throw out there. Like this poor one like I never really thought about that too much, but mm, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it could be.
0: <laughs> it's one of those things where it's a question you're supposed to ask because of his immense power, but just because you're asking a your question doesn't always mean yes. Um, yeah. The one I the one I think about the most and his influence on is definitely howlin Reed and the attorney at Harren Hall. because mm-hmm. Howland was at the Isle of Faces for like what like a year. And then he strides out and he gets into the exact fight that leads to Liana noticing that then leads to Rhaegar and her hooking up and all these other things. That's the one I'm most curious about. If Bloodraven had a hand in, if he actually saw the event and said, walk here, do this, say that, and it will make Jon Snow happen, basically. <laughs> because it, it's it's extremely, t- it's, it's a, what's the right way to say this? It's extremely strange that he does walk out of the Isle of Faces, the place with all the weirwits, and he does the exact thing that causes Rhaegar and Lyanna to find each other. It's how far, in adv- how far down the road was he planning, I don't know, but it seems that Howlin was sort of almost sent like, um, like a touch from Bloodraven into history where he just wanted to press this point where he knew it would make the most difference.
1: Yeah, I agree because it seems difficult. It seems like touching the past is hard for them, and it's and and it's not. It's like it takes energy or effort, or it's mm-hmm. difficult, or even sketchy if it's even possible at all. Um, to certain to certain extent, I know we know it's possible to some extent, but mm-hmm. how much? So, um, and it seems he's very focused on brand in general, like and and other things lesser. So, I mean, clearly affecting the election of the Lord Commander is something outside of brand, but. <laughs> Someone in the chat asked, why does Bloodraven, why did he save Sam? Well, I think that's fairly straightforward because right after Sam is saved, Coldhands is like, hey dude, open the black gate and get Bran out of the night yeah, fort.
0: Yeah, um, he was <laughs> there to open the door.
1: Yeah, he's like, get me Bran and then I don't care what happens to you after that. So yeah, he goes in, he opens the door in night, the night fort and then tells Bran, Coldhands is waiting for you. <laughs> he's like, oh. it's like, you know, <laughs> the ranger with that's dead that guy you know who i'm talking about right
0: (laughs) i think the last one uh to pull from the check uh it was vanessa amnesty i'm not sure i'm pronouncing that last name right amnesty i'm sorry there's no n um she asked the question what happened to Aegon the fifth sisters and actually this ties into something we were talking about earlier even has older sisters so does egg egg has older sisters what happened to these women i think unfortunately george kind of has has a way of not like not liking to track matrilineal lines where I think it's harder for him because you really have to make up all these giant other family trees in order to explain them whereas the patrilineal ones are much simpler father-son 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 and yeah, I, th- I think that's explanation but I would definitely love to know what happened to the older um Blackwood sisters or yeah. and, uh, definitely Aegon sisters
1: yeah, I agree because we hear that. I mean, at least with one of Aegon's sisters, we hear that she was into magic a little bit. She mm-hmm. was trying to give her brother potions. That was may have just been a little girl thing, like not real magic, mm-hmm. but it's still like a a note about her. And and um, wonder what happened to that branch of the family because we know they
0: had at least one of them. Uh, actually, I think both of them had kids because Eamon... Yeah, Eamon talks about the grandchildren had, yeah. or the ne- the nephews and nieces, something like that. Yeah, yeah. So
1: that that bloodline was out there somewhere
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe this will be a plot point in um there's i think there's some information that one of the Dunkin' egg stories will be with the blackwoods and the brackens at some point like the village hero i think it's called think that's the one that's next yeah that should yeah. be the one that's next, so, so if that's my, you said yeah. melissa blackwood we may see uh Gwyneth and Mir- and mia too they they would probably be there not at court because this most of aegon's bastards should not stay at court
1: yeah Exactly. Um, especially the, the ones, especially because there were factions that would have wanted them to leave. And if he doesn't care, he's not going to force the, he's like, yeah, I don't care if you make my bastard daughters leave. Sure. What do I care? I can't drink
0: them or sleep with them. So, (laughs) uh, you know, (laughs) but that blood raven kid, make sure he stays at court. I don't care about the rust. (laughs) The one who is very useful. He can stay yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> uh, so i think that's it for our questions i gotta get going because again in what uh, about 40 55 minutes i ha- i'm going on radio westeros talking about melisandra i picked blood raven particularly because of the crossover with melisandra there and the melanie c star thing these are all really interesting but that's what we'll be talking about next um aziz plug away
1: all right. Well, thanks for having me. I will be checking out this the stream with Radio Westeros. It sounds like a, a great topic following up stuff that we talked about here and stuff that I talked about with them last week. It all, it all
0: just uses together. It's all one big tapestry. <laughs>
1: it's very cool. So, yeah, like you said at the beginning, we're doing Val Arvigretus over on my channel. We're finishing A Storm of Swords on Sunday and then moving on to A Feast for Crows, of course. And with... Quarantine, we're moving through it quickly. Not a lot of breaks scheduled in there. In fact, no breaks scheduled for a Feast for Crows. We're just going to plug, go right through it. And we have uh, a a video on Serwin of the Mirror Shield coming out in a few days. Well, that should be up for patrons. I guess it'll be out for public release uh, probably about 10 days-ish. And that's Mm -hmm. a little different than what our usual material is. Um, Shorter, and but it's also got some cool theories and ideas about um, what that character says about... uh, how many reflections he has on in, in the current time and recent history, mm-hmm. like tell me and Kristen Cole and Eric and Eric, things like that. Uh, then we are working on Blackwood part two. So that's kind of along these lines, talking about the Blackwoods and the modern, modern Blackwoods.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, uh, I know I'm forgetting something else. Crusader Kings. Crusader Kings streams Wednesday and Friday. God, Emperor Damon. Oh, and I've started a uh, podcast on the Witcher. It has only two episodes so far. That's with Kyle Foster and McCall Schick. And uh, we're big fans of that series. It's really fun, really good. And uh, if you're into it, check out the podcast of surprise.
0: There you go. All the many Aziz plugs. If you're still in the chat, stay till the end. It actually, this is weird to think about, but YouTube does care when people make it to the end of the video. Um, I'm just going to do a few of them. Obviously, like I said, Ray Westeros in an hour. I'll put links for if you're watching us back or you're listening on the podcast. Uh, like, share, subscribe to the channel. Also, the podcast feed is called The Wit and Wisdom of Joe Magician. You can find it on iTunes, Spotify, all the places you want. Um, next video will be about um, uh, Fagon, or Young Griffin, how he's going to take Storm's End. That one is still coming. Um, after that, looking more at the Faceless Men from the um, What's the True Value of Arya's Iron Coin. That was just the intro. I'm going to get more into the weirdness of the Faceless Men after that. And... Quarren's streams continue uh, Saturdays at 2 p.m. And my Crusader Kings 2 streams here on the channel and also on Twitch at twitch.tv slash jomagician at Tuesdays at 7, right? You're on Wednesdays. I'm at Tuesdays. That's right. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Nailed it. All right. So that's all the things. Uh, again, we, we got up to, I think, 250 people. Great sharing. Yeah. I'm glad. It seems like you guys really enjoyed it. Um, I'll be sure to talk about Blood Raven again in the future especially as I struggle for what I will make these quarantine streams about clearly fertile (laughs) ground. (laughs) I don't have Valerie I'm just kind of making them up as I go. (laughs) All right. So thanks everybody. Have a good time and um, have a good weekend and I'll see you at five.